Ready to go then? Yeah. All right. You have to count me in. No, I'm only joking. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Saul Rewind, that show where we rewind Better Call Saul and tell you what happened. This week's a bit different because we don't have a show to rewind. Yeah, we're um uh you well, missed we, your cue there. I did. We don't have a show to rewind this week. Uh, instead, we're bringing you a taster. Well, not yeah, not just a taster, but a whole serving, a whole course of our other um, podcast venture, which is eighties movies that your kids can't miss. And um, tonight it is Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's right. So, um, Ghostbusters, that iconic uh, movie from the mid eighties. Um, I ain't scared of no ghosts. Is that what they say? I can't remember. I, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I think to bear in mind here is that we recorded, this is an, an intro we're doing um, today on, uh, what is this, uh, a rainy June 9th? It's a June 9th for you and it's a June 10th for me. Right, um, 2022. But we did actually pre- record this uh, at the end of last year. And yeah. this was in the early days of our podcasting when we didn't have our audio set up um, clued in properly <laughs> we were still kind of Egypts back then we didn't take it that seriously we still don't Just we, like we take it, we're about two percent <laughs> more serious now than we were back then but um so they have you know it's um but it's I like it I thought we did a great job even though we, there's a couple of hiccups here and there <laughs> um but you know this is us um we left the and, uh, yeah now we know that a lot of our listeners out there are tuning into this uh series for the better call Saul content um, we appreciate all those people who tuned in last week on an off week when we did not have an episode to yeah. review and we still got quite a lot of listeners on our um, our Better Call Saul um, review show. Last week yeah. we did um, we did our, our, our highlights from the series, the entire <laughs> yeah, series. Yeah, that's right. And we each picked three. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, um, I suggest you do. I, th- I thought it was a really fun episode. Yeah, it was great fun. It's nice to relive all those moments from even not just season six, but from before as well. You know, you forget how much fun, how much fun there is to be had if you go back through the archives. Yeah. And we even just, we even came up with a few ideas that we didn't uh, come up with at the time. So it was good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, And the same thing happened with this Ghostbusters episode. Whenever I listen back to the edit, which I've done a couple of times now, um, I realized that there's so much more I think we could have, we could have gone a bit further with some of the ideas than we did but yeah. i think there's plenty in there for people to latch on to and to take on if they want to if they want to sure. think about it more yeah for sure um thanks so much for tuning in um enjoy the show hopefully if you hang on to listen to it and tune in next week for another um, mid-season special thanks very much enjoy Rewind show. Um, this is our series on uh, 80s movies that you don't want your kids to miss. Have I nailed that? Pretty much, yeah. Close All right. enough. And um, this is our is this is our third in the series. We started off with batteries not included. We followed that up with ET, and now we're taking a different tack with uh, Ghostbusters. Those first two movies were very Spielberg or Spielberg associated. He directed one and produced another one and they're very similar feelings in them. But this is way off on a different tangent now with Ghostbusters. Different directors, writers, different actors, completely different style of movie. This one's an all-out comedy. 
Um, do you want to tell us uh, the director, since I don't have that, those notes, Jimmy? Would you? Oh yeah, sure. It was um, directed by Ivan Reitman, um, who also directed Spaceballs and Stripes. Um, writing credit or writers' credits are shared by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who both play um, Ghostbusters in the movie as well. Right. Cool. Here's a fun so, fact. Did you yeah. know that Dan Aykroyd's great great grandfather was like? This is something I read online. I can't remember where. Um, was a was a psychic investigator, and that there yeah. was like quite a heavy influence of this in like his childhood and stuff, which they think oh, okay. the movie. I I I wasn't sure which one of his ancestors it was. I thought maybe it was his dad or granddad, but it was his great great grandfather. You say? Yes, that's right. And then I think his. I can't remember whether it was his dad or granddad who worked for Bell and tried to invent like some kind of radio phone that would be able to speak to ghosts, but didn't quite pull that off. That's fantastic. That's hilarious. But can you really believe everything that you read on the internet? I do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Sure, why not? What harm could it possibly do? Exactly. (laughs) So originally set... Um, in the future, but brought back to um, its real lifetime of the mid-1980s by the director. Um, And yeah, opens up with a fairly iconic scene in New York Central Library, um, a really beautiful building right in the heart of Manhattan, Um, filmed on location with um, actress Alice Drummond, um, is the first lady that we see walking down uh, an aisle in the library amongst stacks of books. I think she's in the library's basement to make it extra spooky. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, all the little index cards start flipping out of the drawers as she walks past the drawers open behind her and all the cards start to explode into the air. A really neat, neat trick for its day. Yeah. Um, I I was going to say that a lot of the movies you're going to look at make use of basements or um, basements, attics or dark hiding places. Yeah. Um, although then I remembered ET, we didn't get into the basement in ET, and we didn't get into the attic either. Yeah, but, that's uh, right. There was a little closet space, but the whole inside of the house was sort of dimly lit. Um, but anyway, here in Ghostbusters, yeah, the, the basement of the library. I actually did work in a library that had one of those, several of those actually. Um, I worked in a huge oh, UK library, God. and there were spooky underground uh, repositories of books where you could go down if you had to file some some really weird old book that someone had got out you had to go down into was the it really catacombs and it was a little creepy because it was dead silent down there you know there'd be nobody in there it's a yeah and, yeah it was creepy um libraries are pretty creepy at the best of times let alone being in a big empty basement <laughs> that's yeah that's dimly, true dimly lit you know what i mean definitely yeah, yeah. definitely totally. creepy. well i mean ghosts are associated with memories to me right um I think they're, that's part of the appeal to the unconscious is that ghosts yeah. are somehow in the unconscious level, they, they, um, they somehow symbolize or are associated with uh, uh, traumatic memories, particularly. Um, so I, it makes sort of sense that you've got this uh, library where there's books and books are sort of repositories of memory as well. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a thematic connection, but also there's this idea of paper and cards, the cards all come out of the thing. Um, you made a comment in our opening that we're going to scrap. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> that it's a really lovely, the way that they do these stunts in, in oldie timey movies is just really authentic and lovely. Like in that one, it was um, it was like members of the production crew were pushing the drawers out from behind 
um, which you can see, obviously they're off camera, but the drawers open as if by magic, but actually it's them pushing them out. So it's really just a rudimentary um, mechanism. There's no, no great special effects or CGI involved. And then it's air blowing through like a copper pipe that makes them all jump up into the air. So what appears as on-screen magic is just really authentic and grounded in reality, I guess, because it yeah. isn't a trick. It's actually... It's not, C- it's not CGI. Yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. that's the thing. Yeah, CGI went through a phase. When CGI started coming out, it just went through this long phase of um, not looking as good as non-CGI yeah, effects. Do you know what sure. I mean? Yeah, it took time to come into its own, but we're really yeah. there now. Holy shit. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things about Ghostbusters, I guess, is there is some CGI in the movie, um, like the proton packs and stuff. But what CGI we do have in the film just looks really good. It still holds up today, which is one of the... Oh, I, oh, I some of it. That. No, most of it does, I think. No not all way. of it. Okay, okay, okay. Not all of it. Not no all of chance. It. Not, all of it. not all of it, but some <laughs> of it does to me. Some of it does to me. The proton packs in particular still look... Yeah. I like, I like those. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I don't know how that got out of my mouth. No, some of it definitely doesn't. Some of it definitely doesn't stand up. But, but kudos to them for well, trying. Man. It was it was 1984, so <laughs> yeah, it's respectable. <laughs> it was good at its time. I'm sure everybody was totally amazed at the time. Although I was quite impressed. Like there was a couple of clips you see on YouTube about how they film some of the stuff, and like, and um, we'll probably get to it later in the movie, but Slimer, how Slimer was filmed, it was actually like a person inside an animatronic type um, headpiece, I guess. And then they blurred out his body and made him look all funny. Wow. Um, in, in the scene at, uh, where he's at the buffet cart, or not the buffet cart, the room service cart out in the hallway. Um, yeah. But yeah, almost like almost like a Muppet would have been filmed. You know what I mean? That type of... Okay. Yeah. But anyway... Um, let's get back into this. So, um, sure. Anyway, the... sorry, were you going to say anything else? Yeah, just to say that papers, uh, paper is something that comes up, and I'll just point it out when it happens, so you notice. All right, fair enough. Um, okay. So she's walking down. All the cards start to fly out of the drawer. She runs. She gets a bit lost in the basement, which is another pretty horrific. Um, the, the feeling of being trapped in this big spooky basement. Um, and then she turns the corner, sees something and screams, and we cut then to um, <clears throat> the lab, the Paranormal Studies lab, where we immediately see Vankman, and Peter Vankman played by Bill Murray, Yep. Um, doing some um, testing. He's got a couple of subjects in the lab with him, mm-hmm. and I guess it's also, telepathy tests. Yes, but also by this stage, we've had uh, an introduction to the score of the movie. So the score is really, really good. Um, it captures oh, yeah. the atmosphere very well throughout. Um, we've also had our first taste of the Ghostbusters theme tune. Uh, as we do, we, we right there, whenever the ghost flies at her and then it cuts to the university, we get the Ghostbusters theme tune. Um, yes, I'm going to say yes. I don't know. I can't remember. How can I, I not know that? Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Right side the university. What university is it? Did you ever catch that? I didn't. Um, I don't think they name the university that they work at, but it's filmed okay. at Columbia. Um, okay. like the steps that um, the, whenever they're kicked out, I know we'll get to that later. It's Columbia that, but I don't know whether. I'm sure the interior shots, like the shot that we cut to, is actually just filmed in a on a stage somewhere. Okay. Rather than on location. Um, right. did you notice that the door of the paranormal studies lab has um Vankman Burning Hell written on the door? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, and I, I also that was saw a cool little bit. Yeah, that's funny. And I also saw um that there is a little um do not disturb card. It's got a maid on it. 
Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so the maid, it's a maid card. Like, uh, and the maid, basically, this is the first hint at something, the motif that comes up throughout the movie constantly, and that is cleaning up. The, the, yeah. mess is, the mess is verbally pointed out numerous times in the movie, and there are also numerous references to cleaning up yeah, the mess for sure. all the way through the movie. And that's the first hint at that, the little maid card on the door. Well, it was one of the things that I thought of whenever, like in the past, in the, the previous scene, when all those cards are flying out, I was like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be a member of the production team that has to fucking tidy that up after each take. That's you know, true. if they do like 10 or five or 10 takes, then that's like a lot of fucking index card to put back <laughs> in their rightful place. Yeah, um, no but anyway. Yes. Um, so uh, the Ray's, or sorry, Venkman's in the middle of his experiment here. He's administering electric shocks um, to <laughs> test the, the impact of negative, the effect of negative reinforcement on ESP ability. Yeah, one of my favorite lines in the entire movie <laughs> is whenever one of the subjects yells, I'll tell you the effect that's pissing me off. Mm. Yeah, straight into the gecko with the jokes here. Like this is yeah. this is it. This is the tone. The entire movie is just one big long string of jokes, basically. Yeah. Um, I wonder with hindsight, would they have changed Bankman to make him a bit less, um, a bit less sleazy and a bit less um, slimy himself? You know, he comes across as being very, a bit of a sleaze ball, doesn't he? Yeah, he definitely does. Um, but he's a likable sleazeball, you know. I mean, Sigourney, I mean, I, I find it interesting that, you know, there's this kind of thing going on in movies. I don't know if it's, uh, I think it's symptomatic of the culture where um, we're getting exposed to the sleaziness of men, but we also see female uh, characters. We also see women pushing back against the sleaziness a lot. Yeah. And, um, and then I guess it's almost like a cult. I guess it's almost like a blown up version of what's happening in a culture where men have to adjust their attitudes. I mean, I'm not a big fan of revisionist, revisionist stuff. You know, like I, when you have a movie like Ghostbusters, you have some sleazy asshole like um, Bankman yeah. <laughs> being so likable. And we commented yeah. this in Saul as well. It's like, um, uh, that tells us about what culture was like at that time. Actually, you're right. Yeah, because there would have been people like that probably right up until just a few years ago. You know, yeah, totally. today, I'm sure there are people like that. Absolutely. So yeah, not in the office where right. I work, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would be tolerated these days. Um, no, it but yeah. So they're doing telepathy tests. He is trying to impress um, the female, the female subject, and keeps shopping, shocking the male subject. So he lets her off whenever she's wrong, shocks the guy even when he's right. Um, yeah. As a way of bonding with the female, um, yeah. And Pete and, doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to care about the science at all. Even when his experiment starts to work, yeah. he continues to use the experiment to pursue the female instead of them. Um, you know like he's really not he's really not a very good scientist i think that comes across um right from the start yeah but we do or we we think we do are encouraged to see a change in venkman throughout the movie um ghostbusters 2 kind of puts an end to that uh, where he gets reset to the way he was but um but and then undergoes the transformation again but here it's about uh venkman starting out as some kind of sleazy asshole and then i guess the uh uh, Sigourney Weaver's character Diana somehow he is he going to no longer be a sleazy asshole under her influence and is he going to become a good person I don't know we'll see 
Who knows? Um, so yeah, so they're they're doing this test, um, and then Dan Ackroyd comes in, who plays Ray. Um, I don't know what Ray's last name is, um, but he plays Ray, one of the other Ghostbusters. He's telling um, Bill Murray, Peter Venkman about um, the Viperous apparition at the library. He wants, um, I guess this is the first time that we see, well, the second time now that it's reinforced that, that, that Venkman isn't really a very good scientist is whenever he doesn't actually want to go and check this thing out, even though it's what he's subject, the subject that he's supposed to specialize in that he loves and is passionate about. Yeah. He's like, no, I want to stay. I'm just finishing up with this um, this subject, this test subject. And um, yeah, he doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. And he tries to get out of it. But yeah, Ray makes him go. And they head off yeah. to the library. Right. I did have that um, shocking thing come up in a couple of other things. Synchronistically, um, uh, it came up in an episode of Riverdale. Was it Riverdale? No, kind of been Riverdale. It was... Um, Two things I watched. We started this show called uh, um, Eden Zero, which is a manga show, and it comes up in that being shot, shocking someone with a device that's stuck to them to control them, and then it came up with something else. I can't remember. Ah, shit, never mind. I don't know. Sorry, no, never up. mind. It's gone. My, it's <laughs> um, so they're heading to the library. I think they're walking up to the library and Finkman says to the other, I think it's it's Finkman and Ray or it's either in the library and it's Finkman, Ray and Egon. And he said, he says that you guys are going around the bend with this ghost business. Mm-hmm. Um, as, I think it's as they walk in and then um, he gives the desk a good bang whenever Egon's trying to listen. Egon's there listening with his devices to the desk and all kinds of things. Yep. And then, yeah, so they go off to investigate this library. They eventually, um, <laughs> um, another really great uh, Fankman line or Bill Murray line is whenever the librarian is um, describing the ghosts and Fankman is asking her loads of questions and the librarian or the manager of the library said, what does that have to do with anything? Um, and, and he goes, back off, man, I'm a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he asks Alice if she's menstruating. Oh, that's uh, what it is. Yes. That's yeah, what it is. um Yeah, Venkman. Um, yeah, I loved Ray's line that he uh, whenever Venkman's like questioning his activities, uh, the pointlessness of it all. It's kind of an interesting question, actually. Um, if you're involved in some kind of esoteric pursuit, it comes up in weird studies episode that I watched yesterday. If you're if you're involved in one of these pursuits like liter- literary criticism or music theory or uh, um, some other weird, you know, thing that doesn't really seem to have any impact at all on society yeah. as a whole, um, you know, is that pursuit in itself justified? Like, does your life have meaning? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Ray, but Pete here is like, he's showing, he doesn't really believe in all this shit. He's just in it. Because it's an easy ride, basically, and for the babes. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, Ray, and he's making fun of um, Ray and uh, Egon because they're so serious about the whole thing. And Ray says, have you forgotten that I was present for an undersea, <laughs> uh, what was it, undersea unexplained mass sponge migration? Yeah, they, they migrated it. about a foot and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was a really good moment. But yeah, and also the question of the value of their work is something that's raised. It's like the first... Uh, oh, it definitely is. Well, it's going to come up in a minute or two here, but um, 
yeah i will get to that we're not there yet um yeah anyway yeah um but also his uh he uh pete's uh, interview of alice here gets uh, rehashed with dana later he's like the showman you know i see pete pete is kind of like he is the communications and pr side of the ghostbusters you know what yeah. i mean he he takes front and center with uh, certain interactions, uh, interviewing the new clients, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's, uh, yeah. So he's got the charisma. He's almost like a leader in that sense. Yeah. He's Even able though to he <laughs> bond with people and to make those connections and everything else. Yeah. Or speak for the group. Yeah. And then, yeah, sure. uh, yeah. So they head under, they head down into the basement. Yeah, that's right. So they head down, just retracing the librarian steps, down past all the cards. It's all covered in slime. They're collecting symbols and stuff. Um, there's this moment when they turn a corner and the bookcase behind them falls over. Yeah. So I read on, on a wiki page that apparently that was unscripted. It was unintended. Oh. Um, that it wasn't in the original script. It just falls over. There's a huge noise and then they carry on. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, apparently he plays a lot that's... of it is is unscripted a lot of it is improvised um which i don't know if i buy fully because you know surely there must have been parts of it have to well of course parts of it are scripted but yeah apparently yeah. a lot of it is is improvised um so yeah but they carry on seamlessly straight on as if um acknowledging that it happened i, can't I liked what the Peter um, said. i liked just before that they see the books all stacked up and uh <laughs> He says, yeah, yeah right, right, no human being would ever stack books this way. And <laughs> Ray says, yeah, it's just like the symmetrical book stacking. It's the symmetrical book stacking, just like the Philadelphia mass turbulence of 1947. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love his, I love his obscure references to um, paranormal events. Oh my events. God. I know. And Fangman is so, he's such a skeptic. You know what I mean? He just, he comes across as being such a skeptic. Like he doesn't believe in any of this stuff at this stage. Yeah. You know, I also like it. It's true. I also like that 47 gets a reference. Um, I know I've mentioned this. I'm, I don't know if I've mentioned this in our any of our podcasts yet, but 47 is a synchronistic number. So, well, a symbolic number. Yeah. But I, I'm going to do, I'm going to someday do an episode on 47, but now is not the time or place. But <laughs> here it is, 47. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie, Ray says, listen, do you smell something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh so funny um so yeah so they turn a corner they see the floating lady much to their surprise i don't think they expected to find anything um yeah. and then they all back off again they don't really know what to do somebody has to go and speak to her so they send um they send uh fangman first pv first to to have a chat and she screams at them like in a de de demonic voice almost doesn't she is that at this stage yeah, um, she just no, she, oh, she says, tells them to shush. That's yeah, what it is them. first. She shushes them. Um, and then Ray decides that he knows what to do. So they go back and they regroup. He knows what to do, and they all they creep back around the corner again. And um, he just screams, get get her, and then <laughs> she she turns into like a huge monster, and they all fucking run away shitting themselves. Yeah, that's a funny that's a funny spot. Um, this is uh, it comes up quite a few times in the movie. It's made it's uh, it's one of the one of the plot devices, I guess, is Ray 
Ray's stupid things that he does. You know, Ray is always <laughs> screwing up some situation. First scene, he screws yeah. up Pete trying to hit on this girl. He comes in and interrupts that. Here he he messes up what to do about the ghost. And uh, he, yeah. he, he's just all he's a, he's I, there's a word I'm looking for here, but it's like the it's like um one of those movie tropes, isn't it? Where there's like the not a clown because Bill Murray's more of the clown in this movie, mm-hmm. but there's like the kind of almost incompetent one. You know a what I klutz. mean? A klutz. Yes, that's yeah. a better word. He's, a like the klutz. He's a klutzy guy. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. Um, so I love whenever the librarian, the manager of the library, is running after them, and he he's asking them, you know, what what should he do? And and Frankman's like, "We'll get back to you." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they just take off. They run. Um, so yeah, so they they're walking through the park then, just chatting about what happened, and they're having a laugh at Ray because Getter was his whole plan was Getter, um, and then there's quite an important. Um, there's quite an important reference in this in this scene where Egon thinks that he's come up with a way to catch them. So the readings that he was able to gather there, he's able to, he, he makes reference to, he thinks that he can um, catch them and hold them, um, which mm. becomes quite important later on in the movie. And there's this, uh, <laughs> the, the moment that, that Bankman is really, he congratulates Egon and gives him a candy bar. Yeah, he gives him <laughs> like a... He's a child. He gives him a dairy crunch. Yeah, um, that's right. which is one of my faves. Yeah, um, funny. Egon has so many great one-liners in this movie. Yeah, you know, like he's so funny. Um, like here, and Vickman says, "Is he serious about the thing catching the ghost?" And he's and Egon's like, "I'm always serious." <laughs> yeah, he is a bit of an under an under um, underappreciated character, I guess. And you know, Bill Murray is often and Dan Aykroyd referenced as the star of the show but Egon holds his own for sure right he was yeah, one of the um, writers which I didn't know until this podcast I didn't realize that he was one of the original um he wrote the screenplay I think Dan Aykroyd right. wrote the the movie or the script and he wrote the screenplay or something I don't know okay um but they share a writing credit anyway mm-hmm. um and then they head back to the university right to learn that they've all been sacked yeah. Now, you know, how I've um, uh, said a couple of times that one of the popular movie tr- movie tropes is poltergeist activity, where at the start of the movie, you see things being moved around um, by whatever, whatever antagonizing forces coming into the plot. Yeah. Um, usually things being physically moved around. Well, in Ghostbusters, it would seem to be a no brainer since this is actually a ghost movie. There is that literal poltergeist activity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for but sure. Here we see it. We see the trope in a more subtle form where they're in their lab and the the university staff are coming in and removing all their stuff so they're dismantling their lab so that's that's right that's the poltergeist activity trope working here disrupting their lives in the in their comfortable um lives in the university there's something i forgot to mention just about before there um there's one thing i wanted to mention about the the ghost in the library she's wearing this lovely sort of lilac-y purple gown yes and um She's translucent, obviously, as the ghosts are. All the ghosts are in the in the show, except for the Marshmallow Man and uh, Gozer the Gozerian. But uh, but the other sorts of ghosts are all translucent, which you would expect. But anyway, side note. But I like the fact she's wearing a lilac purple gown, and then this coloration of um, uh, comes out again as we see uh, later with with Dana. But I'll draw attention to that when it happens. But it is a certain color motif. Um, the other thing was. 
that um, they called out the mess. You called it out, the mess associated with the cards, but they also called it out when they walk into the library, say someone says, what a mess, look at this mess or something like that. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so the mess is always verbal. It's not always, but usually verbally called out by one of the characters. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's it. That's, I think, all I wanted to mention about that. The Dean, the Dean makes reference to Vankman as a poor scientist and says That's that he has right. no place in, in a university, calls him a hustler. Yeah. Which um, is which true. Is, yeah, bang on the money. <laughs> um, and then they get kicked out and um, they get kicked out and they're coming down the steps. They've just been removed and poor Ray is distressed. He thinks it's a major disgrace that they've all been sacked from, from this university. Yeah. Um, that they'll never be they'll never be able to work in science again. Right. And uh, Peter sees it as an opportunity rather than a rather than a setback, especially with their new with the with Egon's ability to capture Ghost and I, he sees that there's a business opportunity um, yep. and an opportunity for a franchise. And he has a great quote here, one of my favorite quotes in the movie. Um, well, there's a couple here, and Ray says in the private sector they expect results, um, <laughs> and that's like uh, again, this is going back to the difference between some something that you're working on and you're working the question of what social value that it has is being asked yeah. in the university. The guy kicking them out says there'll be no more funding or something like that. He talks about funding for the program. That's right. Money is continuously mentioned throughout the whole script. Um, yeah, and here is one of the first one of the first mentions of money. And then we get uh, the great line from um, Pete, which is, for whatever reasons, Ray, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. And Ray says, for what, Ray says, for what purpose? And Pete says, to go into business for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Love that. Just love that line. Yeah. Very inspiring. An inspiring line for entrepreneurs everywhere. Yeah, for sure. A little bit of prop propaganda for our um, <laughs> our consumerist economy. The entrepreneurial um, spirit. Yeah, especially in America, like where that is so that's almost set up as a pedestal to, to go into business on your own. It's like the American mm -hmm. dream, isn't it? Um, yep. Yeah. I was going to say something else about that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember now. We're really nailing this one. This is. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely doesn't feel like it's flowing as well as the others. <laughs> no, but that's all right. Maybe we'll get. Maybe we'll. Maybe find it'll it. come up. Um, did mm -hmm. you just remind me of what I was going to say? Yes, you did. So the, in the original script, Ghostbusters was actually a much bigger operation. So they were. Um, it was set in the future, like the original script that Dan Aykroyd wrote, or the original story was set in the future, and they weren't. It wasn't a business. It was. Uh, it was almost like the police force, like it was a civic service and they worked all over the world. So there were ghostbusters like in every country out busting the ghosts and um, they were able to time travel and move between dimensions and all this kind of stuff like it was a bit darker. Wow, that's and, expensive. That's huge. <clears throat> yeah, it was a really big, it was a really big operation and it was the director. What did we call him? Where's his name? Um, Ivan Reitman, who, who based it in New York and made it much smaller. And right, I guess okay. it was um, to try to get it over the line with the production, you know, the, the big movie production companies. Right. Um, it was turned into a business and made a much smaller, made a much smaller thing. Also more yeah. American that they turn it into a business like 
who doesn't like an opportunity to make a bit of money, you know? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they're on the steps. They head off to the bank um, because they're talking about money then. How are they going to fund all this um, was, I yeah. think, a question that Ray asked. And um, they head off to the... Um, we see them then. It cuts to a scene where they're coming out of the bank. I can't remember the name of the bank. Um, but Ray has taken out a mortgage, a third mortgage on his house um, at 19%. Yeah, ninety-five thousand dollars over five years in the interest yeah. alone. Egon points out to him. Um, <laughs> yeah, another reference to money, and then they get to the firehouse where there's dollar signs uh, graffitied on the building, and or, oh, there's a weird do- there's a weird dollar sign actually with two lines only through the top of the S, and I don't know what the oh, hell that's all about. Okay, but um, then. Uh, then, yeah, then they're, they're see now there's another little thing that happens here which comes up a lot. They're negotiate, they're trying to negotiate the price down. Yeah, that's them. right. And so he sort of he takes Ray aside, and you see this body language a couple of times in the movie. Not Ray, sorry, Pete. I always mix them up. Him and Pete sort of turn their backs to the woods. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're because they've got a little secret plan. Their their little plan is they're gonna they're gonna say that the building and Egon says this but this place should be condemned yeah uh, that's right making all these negative comments it's a little thing of secret communication here and the secret Between, communication yeah yeah this comes up quite a few times during the movie it does and um so yeah actually it happens in the first scene as well whenever um Ray wherever Pete takes Ray aside to scold him for getting involved in his uh his uh hit on this young woman he sort of takes him aside and says i'm right in the middle of something here right so this secret of her off to the side conversations yeah. uh, communication happening lots of times in the film but in particular between um Vankman and egon that's right it comes up yep. a couple of times um yep. so yeah they're trying to work the retailer and again we see ray as the klutz come down the fire pole he absolutely loves yeah. the place he wants to stay yeah. the night he asks He's when like, he can yeah. move in it's so exciting. He's like a little kid. He's like, we should stay here tonight to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So he scuppers their plan to get the, the cost of the building. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah fun reduced. fact, the external of the building is an actual New York City fire department. I think it still exists today. And the internal shots were all filmed in an abandoned firehouse in L.A. Oh, wow. Interesting. So it's actually yeah. two fire stations. Okay. Um, yeah, other notable thing is the incredible mess that the, the, the yeah. interior is in. The interior and the exterior is a huge mess. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Sorry, one notable thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The brain? Yeah, okay, yep. And then, then where do we go? I think from there we meet Dana for the first time, don't we? So this is at Dana's. Yes. Um, so Dana's getting into the elevator at her apartment. She heads up to this 22nd floor. Um, so it's the first time we meet Dana, who's played by Sigourney Weaver, really mm-hmm. iconic actress. She specifically wanted to do a comedy straight after her... Um, Alien. Straight after Alien, yeah, where she plays Ripley. So from a very, yeah. very serious dark movie into wow. something a bit lighter. <laughs> totally different roles, yeah. Totally yeah. different. Um, and... Uh, they and we also meet Lewis, who is yeah. played by I've forgotten his name, Rick Moranis. Yeah. So I want to do a little segment here on Lewis's life hacks. 
sure. <laughs> Lewis has has a couple of times he gives us Lewis's life hacks, and uh, his life hacks here are: you can uh, play your twenty minute workout at two times the speed and get your workout <laughs> done in ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, you can get your drugs delivered by the drugstore. Um, you should always have plenty of low sodium mineral water at hand in your house, <laughs> and don't do your own taxes. <laughs> Taxes is funny. It comes up loads of times where he talks yeah, about yeah. taxes. Um, he's That's an accountant. Right. Yep. He invites her to a party, talks about her TV being on loud. Um, I think we get a really good glimpse into, <laughs> into Lewis and his psychological state. Um, yeah. Like he said, whenever he was talking about her TV being on loud, he said that he had climbed out onto the ledge and tried to climb in through one of her, her windows to turn it down. Like right. he would do that. Like that's a fucking <laughs> psycho thing to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we're at Dana's. Um, other fun fact, the Rick Moranis character, Lewis was originally supposed to be played by Bill or by John Candy, who turned the part down. He, he decided not to play it. Yeah. Um, I wonder it's just if, as well too. <laughs> I know, I think so. I can't imagine I can't imagine John Candy as Lewis. I don't think he's the right kind of comedian. He's just, it's a different type of comedy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. John Candy, for sure. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Rick Moranis has always been a bit weird and a bit kind of mad scientist and a bit mm-hmm. like, you know, whereas John Candy is like Uncle Buck and, you know, yeah. totally yeah. different, um, totally different styles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we see TV, like... Um, Dana goes into her house. Is the Ghostbusters ad on TV at this at this time whenever she goes in, or is that later on? It's on. I think it's on in the background. Yeah, and we it's hear on the TV, the I think. Ghostbusters ad. Yeah, but she doesn't um, focus on it as much as she does later. No, that's right. So it's on in the background. Um, interestingly, it specifically references um, basements and attics. Um, oh, I didn't you- notice that. Yeah, do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic is one of of the lines. I think it's Egon that says it. Um, And um, where did we get to? So she starts unpacking her groceries and then we get another really iconic scene, one of the probably the best known scenes in the movie where the eggs start jumping out of her carton of eggs and cooking on the counter. Yep. You'd be totally freaked out if that happened, that's for sure. Um, Yes, you would. (laughs) <laughs> there's animal noises coming from her fridge does she open the fridge and see the animal does she see like yeah she she in? does she approaches the fridge and the fridge um so there's a here we get the the first of i think it's the first overt connection between the ghosts and food and the connection between the ghosts and the food is throughout the movie and it's um and then the fridge here it the growl that comes from the fridge is like a hungry yeah. growl you know, it's like the fridge is it's like a hungry stomach. And um, and it's also, of course, the fridge where food is stored. But then also there's these the eggs jumping out here. Yeah. Are of course I could be reading this too much into it, but this is what I like to do. So the ghost is sort of sort of like the whenever this for gozer to come into the world, Zul and um and the clother, clother, uh, clother the Carpathian. What's his name? Clother. Oh, oh sorry. Zul, the gatekeeper, and Vince Clortho is the keymaster. Those oh, two essentially it. have to mate. And so 
and Dana is Zul, who's the female part of this uh, yep. ritual. So the interest in the eggs is like an interest in her eggs. Oh, really? As the reproductive. Okay. Um, yeah. The spirit, the spirit eggs. Funny, that, that, yeah. That this union is going to, to open the doorway for a gozer to be born. Um, but yeah, so food and ghosts. Yeah, are the two, yeah, two troops. Um, yeah, so another really iconic scene. I also love Dana's apartment. Oh, I'm just, beautiful. I've, I've been having these dreams lately where I'm in beautiful apartments or beautiful homes. Yeah. And it makes me really envious of my dream self who's living in these places. <laughs> I'm like, but I just love her apartment here. I love the 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 pretty, the nice windows with the, the view. I think the, and the, view, the view. view is just incredible from her apartment. Like, what does this woman do that she has like a... <laughs> And know, she's a cellist. Fucking Central Park, you know what I it's mean? It's like the, it's, it's like the, it's like in Friends. Basically, they have this stupidly, yeah. fantastic apartment, and they basically work in coffee shops and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> not very realistic. Only one of them works in coffee shops. Although this is going back to 1984, so maybe maybe uh, these uh, beautiful Central Park apartments were more affordable back then. I don't know, Who but knows? Uh, I can't imagine yeah, that to be the case. But <laughs> interestingly, it. Uh, Dana has a pack of Stay Puffed Marshmallows among her groceries on the counter as oh, well. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, she does. And um, uh, we see the bedroom over her shoulder as she's standing in the living room where um, uh, where nothing ever happens, apparently. Um, she <laughs> she has uh, a yieldy yeah. worldy tape deck on her kitchen counter as well, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, I looked up how much they are to buy now. They're incredibly expensive, big 80s tape decks. Like, are fucking, they cost a fortune if you get, like, you know, the original. I still have um, cassette tapes of the old band rehearsals in the garage. Oh, my God. I know, I'm terrified. They're in a box. Awful. Well, they're in a box, and I haven't taken them out forever, and I'm terrified that the tape is just going to disintegrate as soon as I put it inside a stereo. But <laughs> uh, no, I, someday should, I someday should convert those into They're made, in pla- they're made out of plastic. They'll be fine. You can Hopefully. send them off, but do you trust other people to do it? That's the big question. Oh, no, I don't. I'd have to buy the stuff and do it myself. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Just so if you fucked it up, you could live with that guilt for the rest of your life. <laughs> mm. Yeah, true. Well, yeah, right <laughs> enough. But anyway, <laughs> before we move on, though, there's one other thing about that this movie seems to circle around, and that is the male interest in the female. Yeah, um, that's right. As soon as we see it in the... Um, we see it in the... The very first what? scene with Fenkman hitting on the student. Yeah. And second then scene. second scene. And then we switch over to well, then when we go to the library and it doesn't, it's not always sexual interest. Uh, th- and yeah. then Venkman is interviewing the old lady in the library. Right. And then um, here it's uh, Lewis is sort of accosting Dana in the hallway yeah. he's so apparently obsessed with getting her attention and her <laughs> yeah. maybe getting her on a date getting her yeah. to his party and all the rest of it and um and then there's this also this spooky interest that the evil ghosts have in dana herself yeah, that's right yeah so that's the theme that, 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 that carries on throughout um okay moving along Act yes. one so we head to the fire station so this is them moving into the fire station Ecto one arrives, this big shit heap of a car, a 1950s <laughs> it hearse. Yeah, it's like a, hearse. a converted hearse. Oh my god. Um another interesting fact was that it was originally supposed to be black. The car was okay. supposed to be black, but they realized because most of the shots would be a night that it wouldn't stand out, that it wouldn't look good. 
Um, so they decided to, to paint it white. Another one, another quite quirky fact is that they only ever had one Ecto one. They they normally have a few of these cars, like in Back to the Future, they had three. They used three DeLoreans. Okay. Um, just in case once something happens to one of them. But in, in Ghostbusters, they didn't have time. And um, there was a really short, it was filmed within um, I think they only had a year between getting permission to start and it having to be finished. So they only hmm. ever had one um Ecto one. Right. And that would have so, been yeah. an old car even in its time, right? Even in 83, that would have been an old car, I think. Yeah, it would have been 30 years Maybe old. I think it was a 19 from 1953 or 54, something I read. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it needed a lot of work. Ray lists off <laughs> everything that needs done to it. Yeah, it basically needs everything. <laughs> and, then, and then he says it was $4,800. And it's like, yeah. you pay $4,800 for a car that needs basically a new car. Oh, funny. I know. <laughs> really hilarious. And then we've yeah. got Janine. So this is the first time we meet Janine, played by Annie Potts. I think her name is um, another really great actress with she's got really good timing and some really good one liners um, yeah. in the movie. And she's she's gorgeous, too. I love Janine. Yeah. And that kind <laughs> of geeky secretary kind of. <laughs> I know they geek they geek her up severely, but I mean, I think really the geek, she's actually just really beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I um, think she's she's so cute. And then um, but then this is one of the weird things about Egon is Egon's like an impenetrable Oh, you know, so funny. it's like he's got no sexuality. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. He just doesn't see it at all. Despite her attention, yeah. Um, so Vankman asks her about like how busy it's been. It's been dead. And then he disappears off into the back and Egon appears from under her desk where he's been throughout the whole conversation. Um, yeah. hooking up her computer back in the day you know they must have like if you think about some of the shit that they're doing it must have cost an absolute fortune there's no way a, a second mortgage on Ray's house would have covered a lot of these costs no I know definitely not well this is the thing like even in, in the well they had a lot of uh, they had a lot of gear in the um at the university and yeah. then all their gear was taken away but then here in the in the in the firehouse they've just got tons of gear like yeah we don't tons. see it all in this shop but they've just got so much gear it's like on the three like instantly like it's there instantly all this yeah. equipment like they're basically backpacks and yeah they've blown all the money before they even have one customer yeah for sure <laughs> Um, for sure, you do have to be very generous. I suppose it's Ghostbusters, you know what do you yeah, expect, but you're very reality. generous with reality. Yeah, um, for sure. Like to build those backpacks and the, the whole ghost storage unit, you, know, you know, it's all supposed to have just happened overnight and Egon did it all, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just a bit, it's a bit uh, of a stretch to say the least. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he has no idea that um, even at this uh, initial meeting, the, the first time that we see Janine, it's really obvious that she's interested in Egon. She's asking about his hobbies and things like that. She says sometimes people say I'm too intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. Janine's basically the perfect woman, you know, she's absolutely yeah. beautiful. She's smart. She's got all these yeah. hobbies. She's confident. You, yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then in comes Dana. So Dana's here to report her um, happening, the happening in her kitchen. Um, Ray's working underneath the car. Frankman jumps over. He's really interested in speaking to her. They hook her up to all kinds of machines and they're interviewing her basically about what happened. We can't, we can't let that last scene go by without yeah, mentioning Egon's comment that print is dead. 
Oh yes, I forgot about that. Because <laughs> it's like it's like it's like 1983. There was so much promise. 84. There was so much promise in computers, you know. And Egon's like obviously ahead of the yeah. curve here. She's like she she does a lot of reading, and he's like print is dead. For sure, like, to <laughs> like come she's up trying with that to kind of comment in the 80s. This is yeah. crazy. Yeah, I know. Well ahead of its time, and it's just such a shame because even now print isn't dead. You know, it's like it should yeah. be dead. But, it but still there's isn't. been a revival. Of, there's been a somewhat of a revival in the UK anyway. I don't know what it's like in the States or in Canada, but oh, yeah, we it's still very have... much alive and kicking. 100%. A lot of actual yeah. physical books now are more expensive than, or less expensive than digital books. Hey, you know, maybe that, I just realised that that might be the reason why paper is such a motif throughout this whole thing. He says print is dead. So oh, yes, print okay. being print on paper, then paper is somehow somehow connected to the idea of the ghosts and the memories and the death yeah so it's the death of print the death the of death of print yeah good like maybe. it maybe 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 um yeah. so they hook her up with all kinds of things she tells them what happens they start to make a plan so ray's going to go off and look for defects or um the architecture of the building and see if there's anything significant in the architecture. Egon's going to look up Zool and do some research into who Zool is and, and his background and Ray's going to check her out. Um, or yeah. sorry, he means check her apartment out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, he might be checking her out too. That's fine. But there's a little secret communication moment there where he he's trying to rally the troops and he walks behind her in yeah. order to comment to so she doesn't see his facial expression while he's talking to the other two and um there's also um uh there was something else there uh oh yeah the the entire the entire um station at this point has been cleaned up to a certain yeah. extent what what was a total mess has now been cleaned up and that's what the ghostbusters do they clean up they mess up and clean and up as well up. yes that's yeah. right they do both um from there, we head over to Dana's. Yes. Um, yeah. Bankman has his sniffer, the little um, toy that he brought, the little sniffer toy. Um, she asks what it is, and he just says it's technical. He, yeah. doesn't, oh, he doesn't elaborate. In the last scene, there was also a what is it um, trope, a conversation, you know, like we had in Batteries Not Included on ET. There was a conversation at one point over what it is. Yeah, and here right. we got the we got the same quite we got a little bit of discussion over what it could be yeah. that is haunting Dana's apartment. So yeah, that was yeah. the one is true. But yes, um, she says he's more like a game show host. That's right. Which he is. He's charismatic. You know, this is what we see in him. We see like a, a he's a performative character, a performative person. That's right. Yeah, he is. Yeah. That's right. He is. He has to be the center of attention. He's always schmoozing and he is. He's always playing a character, isn't he? Yeah. She takes him into the kitchen where the main um, the main action went down and tells him about the fridge. He looks in the fridge and can't believe how much junk food there is in there. Um, and yeah. Yeah. We probably mentioned this in the Saul podcast, but um, I forget if we specifically um, specifically uh, pointed it out, but here there's an implication where uh, Bill Murray's character Pete is not a real scientist, um, which we're sort of um, we're sort of we're we're we figured that out by now. Um, but in uh, in Saul, there's this constant implication that Slip and Jimmy's not a real lawyer. 
Yeah, that's right. That Actually, he's a showman as well. Right. Yeah. Jimmy's also a showman. And we joked at one point that he missed his calling as like a Hollywood director or an actual to be someone in show business. And here there's sort of a feeling that the same thing happened to Venkman. He was his natural calling in life would have been to be a TV show host. But instead, yeah, he somehow wound up as a scientist. <laughs> he's a fake scientist. A fake scientist. He doesn't even believe in the science. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's so true, actually. But maybe that's a common movie trope that that we just haven't picked up on before this could character be, that is is in one in one career but should have been in a different career i don't know yeah specifically around game show hosts or professional professional um a professional job versus like an entertainment job one that's, that's true serious. that's true um so yeah so um bankman tells her i think that Fankman tells her that he doesn't think that she's crazy. And then I think she says that they both have the same problem and it's you, meaning Fankman or something. Yeah. I, don't know, I can't, I can't remember right. the exact quote. And then he says that he's madly in love with her and he gets thrown <laughs> out and um, determined yeah. to prove himself. He says he's going to prove himself. Um, and yeah. he gets kicked out. Lewis is in the hallway. Um, he's locked out of his apartment. Yeah. Um, so it's another common theme, Lewis getting locked out. Yeah. Um, comes up a few times. I think this is a great revelation um, about men um, and uh, a little bit, maybe a self-revelation or this turning point of, um, of Venkman's character where um, he says he's going to do whatever it takes or he's going to solve her little problem and then she'll see what a great man he is. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. I feel like a lot of, a lot of things that guys do are just to impress women. Yeah. Or I suppose if you're gay to impress other men, but this yeah, is how yeah. uh, this is how men function. Like they is this is this just basically true of men that their entire motivation is to get women, yeah, or t- to get a sexual partner. See what but I'm is saying? Is that not the entire motivation of men? That's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like up to up to this point, Bankman's just been a joker, basically using his career to to hit on women but now he's gonna, yeah he's going to become an actual successful scientist so that he can get a wife yeah yeah okay <laughs> i see what you mean yeah funny um, i mean a bit of a bit of that in saul too right he's he sometimes we oh, wonder yeah. what his motivations are and then at a certain point you know it's all about kim or whatever and and he's trying to get know. kim he's going to be yeah. a professional um and the professional lawyer and toe the line and clean himself up so that he can yeah. impress and get kim that's, That's really right. interesting. You should check out, um, listeners, check out our other podcasts, All Rewind. <laughs> That's what we're talking um, about, yeah. Yeah, what we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, Lewis gets Lewis gets locked out of his apartment again. Firehouse is where we head to next. Right. Oh, also, um, before we pass by on the fridge, I'm sorry, I keep doing this. Um, the fridge is also in E.T. We see a big fridge scene with E.T. going into the fridge and pulling things out of the fridge. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. So it's a focal point there. And I'm there's no exact fridge focal point for the little, um, the what's it's in a batteries not included, but there is a strong food theme. There's a restaurant and they're helping out in the restaurant, serving the food, the cooking and all the rest of it. Yeah, for um, sure. So yeah. So we head to the next scene where food. we actually, the scene opens with them eating a big Chinese feast, um, the last of their petty cash. So as you said, they've burned through all their money before they've um, helped a single customer. Yeah, and they're also um they're also you know, making the verb making it verbally explicit that there's a connection between money and food. 
and uh, yes, that's right. In the movie as well as a connection between food and ghosts. So I meant to go back and check out the background in the scene. It's another like a really well put together um, yeah. background. Like the set is really rich in detail, but I didn't mm-hmm. get a chance to to go back and take a look. But I think in the background, like it. through the doorway, there's um, a shot of their bedroom. I think where they have the three beds in a row. You can That's barely right. make it out there, but yeah, totally. Yeah, the entire interior set of the firehouses. Um, it is really cool, but particularly here where they're eating the Chinese food and then it pans around and shows you the rest of the kitchen. Like there's right. like cans of canned food on shelves and like there's a lot there. Um, yeah, but I didn't get a chance to look. So Janine gets a call from the manager of the hotel. We later find out she tells them that of course they'll be totally discreet. Um, mm. and then the she screams, "We've got one." They all slide down their poles, get into Ecto-1. We see a few arcade machines in the background, which is really nice um, little detail. They can't mm-hmm. be that hard up if they've bought themselves three arcade machines, that's for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, and yeah, off they go. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, definitely fun. I liked how when it cuts to Janine taking that phone call, uh, there's a difference in the it's dark and uh, sort of there's a darkness yeah. around her there's a slow zoom into her to create that creepy sort of feeling yeah. and that tense moment that's about to arise it's very very cool when uh, uh i think it's venkman comes down the, the fireman's pole with his chinese food in one hand <laughs> He's oh, I, didn't with him. That. I didn't yeah. notice that and uh they've got three lockers three arcade <laughs> games yeah like you were saying it's like they've uh They've really been spoiling themselves. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they really went to town on the uh, the firehouse. One of the things we didn't mention at the start was that a typical movie trope would be that ghosts only appear at night. Like you very often, you never see a ghost in a movie during the day. Whereas right. the first the first ghost that we see is like right back bang in the middle of the day at the library. Right, that's true. Which is a which is sits outside of the normal the normal movie trope of ghosts at night mm-hmm. um, and scary things happening at night. But that's anyway, right, like in, like in E.T. and batteries not included. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so they head off to the hotel. Um, this hotel is actually based in L.A., so the inside and outside are, are um, L.A. It's actually filmed on location. That's the Ecto-1. Um, that's the Ecto-1 reveal, too. That's the first time we see Ecto-1 in its full glory. Oh, yes, you're right. As speed out of the firehouse, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine even the cost of putting together Ecto-1 with all that scientific kit? Like the, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, my God. Anyway. It's very cool. Um, oh, yeah. It's so funny how Janine says they'll be totally discreet and that Ecto-1 <laughs> sort of bursts through the doors, like obnoxiously loud sirens oh, speeding my down God. the street. <laughs> I think that was just like that that comment is the total setup for their entrance at yeah, the hotel yeah, where they storm right. into the lobby and Batman <laughs> shouts, has anyone seen a ghost? <laughs> and they're like the soul of discretion in their, um, in their kit. Um, yeah. So they meet the hotel manager. He tells them what's been going on. They head across to the lift to go up um, and they tell the guy at the lift that they're there, um, that they're exterminators. Um, again, a really funny moment. Right. He asks if they're cosmonauts. What are you guys cosmonauts? And Vankman says, no, we're exterminators. And the guy said, God, that must be some roach. And Vankman goes, it would bite your head off, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. A really good line. Um, they mm-hmm. take the lift up to the whatever floor it was. I can't remember what floor. I don't remember either. 
and they head off. Um, Bankman saying he's really worried because he hasn't tested any of the equipment. Um, nuclear accelerators, yeah. they're unlicensed nuclear accelerators, um, yeah. was one um, comment. Like, where did they get the nuclear material from? It's another mm-hmm. like little generosity of reality. Yeah. Um, I loved how, well, when they, when he, when he, when he turns it on Ray's, uh, uh, his proton pack, uh, it makes this really cool noise. Oh yeah. You know, it, it sounds powerful. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, and then they sure. back away into the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And all this talk about them being untested and they're a bit worried about it and they fucking get out of the elevator. And what is the first thing they do? They shoot the fucking poor house me- housekeeper. You <laughs> yeah, know we I mean? thought you were someone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good moment she yeah. shoots herself and there's like burning toilet rules she's trying to put out the fire with her like spray bottle um yeah. really good moment. <laughs> um so yeah they split up um ray is the first one to see slimer in the hallway um yeah. and he puts out a call to vinkman um but vinkman doesn't answer um there's another little piece of movie trivia that i read that was um that Slimer was like a nod to a fellow comedian that um, started to write the script with Ray and then died. Let me see if I can get his name. It's a bit of a long story to get into here, but maybe I don't know whether we should mention it or not. Basically, one of the... um, Whenever Dan Aykroyd started to write the movie, he wrote it along with John... I think it's John John Belushi, who was one of the co-stars of Saturday Night Live with him, or one of the writers from Saturday right. Night Live. But I'm one he, of the Blues Brothers. Yeah, so he died before the movie could be made or before they finished the script. Like, Vinkman, the character Vinkman, was written for John Belushi. I see. And Slimer, the, the scene where Slimer is, like, scoffing at the fucking room <laughs> service cart is a nod to John Belushi. Apparently, uh, I see. is what okay. I read. Interesting. Um, so yeah, just a little fun fact. But yeah, cool. I can't yeah. imagine Ghostbusters without Bill Murray. You know? No. Yeah, for sure. You mean without? Huh? Oh, because I he see. He was originally Cause... supposed to play. Vinyl, he was supposed to be. Died. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Totally. That would have been totally different. Yeah. Well, here we're also seeing the connection between ghosts and food as well, with Slimer right. shoveling food into his mouth, which just falls out the bottom yep. of his body. <laughs> <laughs> onto the floor food and drink mm-hmm. like he drinks beer in a couple of the scenes as well that we see him yeah and just the mess again as you said before um, the mess, mess, the mess really yeah. really comes through in this whole yeah whole uh, incident yeah it's like um they actually make i think i feel like like up here in the in the this floor of the hotel it's a really fancy hotel so there's lots of vases there's lots yeah. of fancy lamps there's lots of shit yeah. there for them to destroy and uh yeah it's funny and then when they're downstairs uh he actually says that he says we can we can we can destroy more that way sorry i should have written down the quote i've written down less quotes here don't worry, there's this um the funny moment upstairs where um Slimer passes through the wall. So Ray sees him, Slimer, Slimer takes off. I think he tries to hit him with the um with the oh. backpack thing. What do you it's the first time it's the proton pack. I don't know if that's yes. the, yeah, it's the first time we actually see the proton pack in action and we see the the really cool light show 
that it that's right when they hit the when they hit the maid and then this time i think he tries to hit slimer with it but he misses and slimer takes off through the wall um and then he encounters bankman and bankman calls out on the radio um that he sees slimer etc and um ray says don't move he definitely won't hurt you it won't hurt you and then he gets totally slimed (laughs) yeah after it passes through him um, and they're all really impressed by this actual physical contact with a ghost. Um, mm-hmm. Per Bankman has been slimed. And from there, it heads down into the ballroom. Yep. Um, there's this really interesting bit that I read today. Um, apparently, don't cross the streams. So This um, is the first time Egon tells them not to cross the streams, yeah. Yeah, so this is the first time they're told about crossing the streams with the, the proton packs. But apparently this came about because when they filmed the last sequence with the Marshmallow Man, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, they couldn't figure out a way for the Ghostbusters to kill him. Like, how is this going to end? How will they mm-hmm. manage to destroy um, to destroy Stay Puffed? And they mm-hmm. figured that if they crossed the streams and then reversed the portal that he traveled through, then he would be sucked back out into that other universe. So okay. apparently they added it to this earlier scene after they had filmed the last final scene because ah. thought of it until the final scene. Okay, cool. So I don't know if they reshot or if everything was just shot out of sequence. Um, <laughs> but yeah, apparently that whole thing about to cross the streams didn't come up until the end of the movie. Right. As a way to kill Stay Puffed. Spoiler right. alert. <laughs> For anybody out there who just hasn't seen Ghostbusters, my God, can you imagine? Um, I thought there was another really interesting line in this scene where Fankman says, I can't remember what it was in um, response to, but Fankman says, um, I'm a little fuzzy on the whole good-bad thing. Um, as one right. of his lines, which is totally a character trait of him. You know, Absolutely. where he doesn't get the morality of good and, and bad. Like, I can't remember what it was. I think Ray something to him, said something mm-hmm. to him, and he says, well, I'm a little fuzzy in the whole good-bad thing. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Asked. Mm-hmm. So again, we're inside the ballroom. Slimer's eating and drinking, and um, they pretty much destroy the whole room, trying to capture Yes, it. discreetly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's that moment with the uh, hotel manager talking to the guest whose who's event it must be, the, the um, very well-dressed lady, and he reassures her that everything her event will go ahead as planned, as they can hear the crashing and the smashing outside. Yeah. outside. What yeah. a disaster. Um, another really fun fact about this um, scene that apparently they couldn't, you know, the, towards the end when Slimer is like flying around the chandelier and stuff? Mm-hmm. Apparently, whenever they did like the special effects, they couldn't get that to look right. So they did it as a long shot from far away, and Slimer was like a peanut on a piece of string that they painted green, <laughs> and then they just kind of filmed <laughs> filmed at a distance. So apparently, Slimer flying around the chandelier is actually a, a peanut that they painted. That's perfect. It's funny. Yeah, great. Um, so yeah, they pretty much destroy the the. They pretty much destroy the room. They throw tables out of the way. Um, I thought it was pretty amazing that they managed to catch him the first time. Like whenever they all zap their proton packs at him, he, they just miraculously got him, even though they've been so unable to control him up until this point. You know, yeah. they just magically got they magically got Slimer, um, mm-hmm. and they trapped him in Egon's new ghost trap mm-hmm. that he invented yep. and just built from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and then another reference to money as they leave, that the, this is another really nice little moment between Peter and Egon where they're discussing yep. the fee. And there's Secret. like a little signals with the fingers on the side of the We <laughs> <laughs> decide four thousand for for what for the capture and a thousand for the storage of the ghost and the hotel manager's horrified and they offer to put him back in the room. Right. Yep. That's a yeah, that's a really good. a real trait that I hate from tradespeople. Like if you go to mechanics and you question the price and they're like, Oh, if you want, I'll just put your brakes back on the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. fuck you. um so yeah two seconds Sophia came in there two seconds yeah so where did we get to um we have basically finished the scene they were just having their little uh secret communication about the four thousand and the one thousand oh yes that's right we cut from here Uh, back to Dana's no isn't this back to the the rope the this is a montage now, no? Oh, maybe I just didn't write down the montage. What was the montage? The montage is the uh, the song, um, cleaning up the town. Oh yes, okay. Or is it the Ghostbusters song? Cleaning up the town is when they were when they were leaving the um, firehouse. Oh, well, it, I guess. Oh, this is the song. This is the Ghostbusters the song. Comes in. Starts, the montage starts. The montage starts at Dana's though. So we cut to Dana's apartment and she's she sees them that's on TV it. and that's, that's the right. start of the montage. That's the, the start of the montage. Yeah. I thought this whole sequence of the montage was pretty clever because they really um they used what they did was they took the song and they put star power behind the song. Basically, they had Larry King. Uh, in the montage who's a yeah prominent i guess uh, interviewer tv interviewer at that time that's right there's casey Kasem that was the big radio show host at that time a couple of yeah. other faces they had uh now i've got a neat little coincidence here they had um some shots of magazine and newspaper covers yeah they did that's right um and one of them on the omni uh cover it said uh quantum leaps and it was talking about oh. the proton packs. Yeah, okay. Now, interestingly, uh, I don't know if you saw it in the news, but Dean Stockwell, who starred alongside um, What's-His-Face, uh, come on, Captain of the Enterprise. I know um, who you mean. He was in Quantum Leap, the TV show. I'll not be forgiven for, for forgetting this name. I don't know why my brain does this, because I know that guy's name like the back of my hand. Um, it's Scott Bakula. Okay. So here's this is actually pretty cool, Jimmy. Okay, so on the cover of the magazine it says Quantum Leaps. This week Dean Stockwell died, who starred alongside Scott Bakula in the TV series Quantum Leap. Yeah. Um now also um when Brendan, uh my older kid for the audience, was down visiting me this weekend, he chose an episode of Seinfeld in which Jerry and George are pitching their show idea, the show about nothing, to the NBC executives. And when they're in the waiting room at NBC, there are two posts. Two of the posters on the wall are of, (laughs) one of them is of the TV show Quantum Leap, featuring um, Dean Stockwell and Scott Bakula in the poster. And the other poster is Blossom. Do you remember that TV show, Blossom? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you know, because I didn't know until I looked this up, until I saw the poster and recognised her face, that Blossom was played by Mayim, is it Mayim or Mayim Bialik? 
I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, who plays Amy Farrah Fowler in Big Bang Theory. I didn't know that, no. I did not know. And of course, Sheldon Cooper is a physicist. Yeah. So I felt this was a really nice little entanglement in this yeah. moment of the quantum leaps on the cover and all the other quantum leaps with Dean Stockwell dying this week. So yeah. interesting coincidence. Um, the other magazines showed, perhaps not as interestingly, Time had Supernatural Success Story, Atlantic had Do Ghosts Have Civil Rights? And um, <laughs> the Globe had Ghostbusters Super Diet. But up in the up in the top right corner, it had a flip over that said Princess Die Expecting Again. And I'm like, interesting. No, the flip over was on the time. It's Princess yeah. Die Expecting Again. I was like, interesting. And I kind of realized Princess Die was a very unfortunately named you know her name in itself the fact that she was princess die was the foretelling and she died yeah it's yeah. like one of those weird little ironies i don't know if irony is the right word but weird little things there princess For sure. yeah um very and then we <clears throat> yeah so that's it so um oh yeah and also make reference to money where um Fenkman says no job is too big no fee is too big yeah that's funny <laughs> that's a really funny bit I loved as well, there's like one of the radio um, presenters said they're talking about the poltergeist at the Rose, which is quite a famous nightclub, I think, in New York or quite a famous venue. Um, and they said that the Ghostbusters captured the ghost and then danced the night away with the ladies at the Rose, you know, which awesome. I thought was quite um, a funny line. It's mm-hmm. like this contrast between this real scientists and the Ghostbusters, you know, you're right. constantly faced <laughs> with these two different conflicting ideals. Right. Um, they captured the ghost and then they danced the night away. You know what I mean? It's like, are yeah. they real scientists? Um, which is another scientists. theme. Yeah, another theme yeah. in the movie is constantly questioning whether these guys are for real or not. That's true. That is true. Um, we have Ray's dream then with the visitation. Uh, Ray has a visitation in his dream where a poltergeist comes uh, <laughs> and gets busy with him. Um, yeah. And yeah, I thought that was quite funny. And then we see them asleep in their little bedroom. So they have this huge firehouse. And yeah. yet they're all crammed into this one little bedroom with single, <laughs> three single beds yeah. next to each other. It just seems yeah. really strange. They're living in there like firemen. I guess you're on shift waiting yeah. for the fire calls to come in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Per Janine's down yeah. at the desk. You know what I mean? Right. Like Janine's no indica- on call 24 hours a day. It's mad. No doubt. There's no indication that they actually have homes to live in apart from the firehouse. That's right. Um, Same with Janine. Ray's dream is a bit weird. Ray was dreaming. He wakes up, but he's not waking up. He wakes up in a dream. And, yeah, that's right. Which is a curious thing, which I'll tell you about later. And he wakes up in the dream and he's in some kind of museum exhibit. Oh, I There's a, He's dressed as like an old... General Lee or some old general from the Civil War, I think. Yeah. And there's two oh, swords right. on the wall. Um, and uh, there's a, and then I thought, where is he in the stream? And then I noticed there was like a rope barrier on one side. So he's actually dreaming that he's in a museum exhibit. Yep. It's so odd. With the it's cordon, just... there's like the rope cordon. And you're like, why? I mean, I, I I wonder if they plan to make more out of that, but it just didn't yeah. happen. But it's just so weird. If it got cut. Yeah. Very funny. And then um, the next day, I guess, it's Winston's arrival. We see Winston arriving. So from that scene, 
we cut to the next stage and he's at her desk. Winston is sitting in front of her and she's almost like giving him an, a job interview. It's like a job interview situation. Um, right. Winston was originally supposed to be played. Well, Winston is played by Ernie Hudson. The actor's name right. is Ernie Hudson. He was The part was originally offered to Eddie Murphy. Oh, really? Much, yeah, it was supposed to be a much bigger part, apparently. Offered to Eddie Murphy, who turned it down because he was um, he turned it down for Beverly Hills Cop, the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. Just as well. Yeah, for sure. Can you imagine? <laughs> Life yeah, without Beverly Hills Cop. I think Eddie Murphy's too big for this for this role. Yeah, ultimately. for sure. And again, a very different type of comedy. Like Eddie Murphy's yeah. a very different type of comic. Um, yeah. An actor, but yeah, just another interesting little fact. So Winston arrives. They hire him on the spot. Um, he's the opposite of um, Fengman. He says, you know, if the money's right, he'll believe anything they say. She asks him if yeah. he believes in ghosts. Yeah, if there's a um, steady paycheck. Yes, that's it. Um, and then we cut to Dana and her friend yeah. coming out of the theater the um, where they're rehearsing. So she's part of a big orchestra. Yeah, I really like this scene with Dana and um, it, it it reflect it's reflective of the apartment scene too, where everything in her apartment is just very lovely. There's a lovely pinkness about it. There's this sort of um, there's a beauty associated with her, and uh, uh, a pinkness and a purpleness. Like her coat, I think, has got this these colorful speckles in it. And in this yeah. scene, um, there's a huge bunch of balloons being sold somewhere in the in the in the court what do you call it what do you call this area uh a, pl- a, pl- a plaza like a yeah yeah um and uh so the balloons are very colorful there's a huge pink um uh my people are going to think i have brain damage. there's a huge pink uh <laughs> uh tarp not tarp banner a banner yeah. hanging down a massive one hanging down the side of the building and I noticed right in front of the banner in one shot, there's a little solitary green balloon. It kind of looks like a little slimer right there. Do you know what's so funny? <laughs> I wonder if that was that. a peanut. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. It's so funny that you say that, but balloons come up a few times in the movie. They do. I made a note yeah. of it, but I didn't. I when like whenever I looked into it, I couldn't find anything about it. But there are three or four times that you see bunches of balloons. Yeah. Um, randomly. But anyway, carry on. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll talk about it another time, but balloons to me are just a, a symbol of, uh, they're a symbol of transformation, uh, particularly, but particularly the transformation in a face, like a, a age transformation, which is why they're associated with birthdays, because then at your birthday, yeah. you get one year older, and because the balloon, when you blow it up, it's like a baby, it's smooth, fresh skin, and then over time, it withers, and oh, yeah, um, okay. it gets wrinkly, like a human face. Right. Yes. So, so, yeah, yeah. so it's really associated with that sort of transformation. Um, but I felt this scene was very affectionate. Um, he tells her about Zul and Gozer and uh, and he says, <laughs> she still doubts his character. He says, no, I respect you. I respect you as an artist and as a dresser. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. <laughs> Stupid line. And, then, I, and I like how it just draws attention directly to her costume, which is which is a yeah. focal point of the show. Um, for sure her lovely her lovely coat that she's wearing right here and um then he spins there's something to the spinning but i forget what and then um he's arranged a date yeah there was another nice moment where he says that like he comments so that was a wonderful rehearsal 
Um, and she yes. said, yeah, you heard that? And he's like, yeah, you were the best one in your row. Um, and she said, oh, you're good. Most people can't hear hear me with the whole orchestra playing, you know, quite <laughs> sarcastically. Um, yeah. And Vagman says, hey, I don't have to take this abuse from you. I've got people dying to abuse me. That's right. Quite a funny line. Yeah. And um, also, I never noticed it before, but there is sort of an image here of, of Peter sitting in the in the darkness in the auditorium watching her from a distance from the shadows you know what I mean yeah it's not creepy and they don't they don't really draw attention to it beyond beyond that but it is the kind of thing a ghost does you know it watches you from the shadows in a creepy yeah. sort of way if yeah. they exist <laughs> if they exist <laughs> yeah. yeah so it gives them all the goose goes their information as you said they arranged to to meet at nine o'clock um, he reserves evening meetings for very special clients um, and yeah, then we cut again to the firehouse. So we see the outside of the firehouse and now the Ghostbuster sign has been updated. So before it was a text sign above the door. And mm. now we've got that iconic Ghostbusters logo with the ghost right. and the line through it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Ray is showing Winston Ray is showing Winston around the fire station and telling him about like ghost storage and stuff. And this is the first time that we meet the man from the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, I can't remember his name. What do you call it? Is it, the, is it Pixon Peck. or Peck? Yeah. Played by um, Peck, played by William Atherton. William okay. Atherton. Um, and he turns out to be a bit of a douchebag. Determined yeah. to, to catch them out. Um, well, after... just before the, just before Peck, when they're down in the basement, um, they have the Twinkie talk, don't oh, they? Oh, yeah. At this point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it sounds like, tell them about the Twinkie. Uh, I love that line. <laughs> what about the Twinkie? <laughs> tell us about the Twinkie. <laughs> yeah. I can't oh, yeah, remember well... the line. I guess we have, you see, we in order for this part with, where Peck comes in and the inspection of the storage facility to make sense, we first of all have to be introduced to the storage facility. Yeah, so, that's right. So, so we see Ray um, showing Stan around. It's Stan, right? Ray showing, no. Winston. Winston, Winston, Winston. I always, fuck's sake. I always see, this is one of the problems I have with Ghostbusters. Throughout my whole life, I've always mixed up all their names. I know. And stands and st- you know what I mean? Oh God, it's hard. Anyway, Winston, Ray showing Winston around the storage facility and teaching him how to use it when the trap when the light is green, the trap is clean. And the, the storage facility is like uh it's like the stomach, you know, it's like the big it's where the ghosts are being stored after they've been yeah. gobbled up by the uh, proton packs and the traps, right? It's so the stomach is being filled up and stuffed and stuffed fuller of yeah. all these ghosts. Um and then upstairs, as you were saying to Peck, I have a little rhyme about Peck. Um, Peck picks on Pete. Pete picks on Peck. The only, the only thing missing is the pickled pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it, right? Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled pepper. Yeah. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled pepper. Where's the peck of pickled pepper Peter Piper picked? <laughs> is it? Pete, Peck picks on Pete. Peck, Pete picks on Peck. But, Peck, but where's, yeah. the pickle, where's the pickled pepper? And all of this, I don't know. 
funny. He was um after after Ghostbusters, he got vilified for a while um by members of the public. They used to come up to him and tell him what an asshole he was. That's terrible. Um, awful. But apparently, it was for years afterwards he got harassed by members of the public. He just thought he was a fucking dick. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Egon's worried because it's getting full. He's explaining what the storage system is to um, to Winston. The guy from the EPA, um, Peck, is there. He wants to inspect the storage system. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, and um, there's, a, there's a huge amount of paper all over... Um, uh, Janine's desk. Janine's desk, as well as the wall behind Pete. Pete's desk is covered in newspaper clippings, everything, whereas oh, before it was right, clean okay. and there was just a few pictures. Yeah. Now okay. it's completely covered over with paper. And is it newspaper clippings about the Ghostbusters? Yeah, like, is I this think a bit so. of an insight into their narcissism? Yeah, that they totally. have stories of themselves on the walls. Pretty sure. Funny. Um, there was this really great moment where he wipes, where Vankman wipes his hand on on the guy's suit, Excellent. like as they're walking away. So he wipes his hand on the suit. Um, and yeah. Ginny makes Making a comment a that, yeah, she's quit better jobs than this. Um, <laughs> and uh, is it Fankman says that that career changes for people like her, like housemaid and things like that. Yeah. I can't remember what the line was, but what an asshole yeah. thing to say. Yeah, he's um, on it. So, yeah, then it's after it. that, I guess. After that is the Twinkie comment. Then, then Venkman's goes down to the basement and the storage facility and uh, Winston's like, tell him about the Twinkie, yeah. Tells him that's, about Peck, yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, and then from there, we cut to the rooftop. So this is where we see Gozer's um, pyramid, I guess, on top of the apartment building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like a pyramid-shaped structure, isn't it? Um, yes. There's dogs, there's lightning, the dogs break through the statue. There's all kinds of shit happening up there. Right. And then we cut from there to the to Dana's. Yes. And the party yep. at Lewis's. Mm-hmm. Um, so he meets Dana in the hallway. She tells him that she has a date. She can't make his party. He gets all, ex- all disappointed, but invites him over. Um, and then he locks himself out. Mm-hmm. She gets a call from her mom. She's telling him about Finkman, about um, the Ghostbuster that she's got a date with. And then we see the light around the door and the hands trying to push through the door or the dog's claws or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they burst up through the sofa and pull her mm-hmm. into the fridge. Pull her into the fridge. Yeah. Isn't that right? Um, yeah, that's right. They pulls, pulls her into the fridge. Um, yes. Don't have any other note at this specific point, although except for the fact that the food locations, I think here I started to notice the food locations and think that there, there's something about the idea that the food is the intersection. The food location is like a ritualistic intersection between the worlds, right? Like um, all the ghosts in the movie want to seem to want to consume something like the, the, the woman in the library even was reading a book. So she's consuming something she's hungry yeah. for that. Um Slimer was hungry for the food on the plate and yep. the ghost in the firehouse with Ray in the montage was hungry for Ray's penis. And uh, <laughs> the um and, <laughs> and here um Dana's being pulled in 
to the kitchen where she's going to be uh, merged, I guess, or possessed by by Zul. Yeah, so Zul that's wants her, right. Zul wants her body essentially to possess. Well, it. then immediately after that, we cut to Lewis's apartment, and he that's right. is. Um, so he gets locked out. He gets let back in then, and he's talking about. You see him talking to all of his guests, and he's talking about how the party's oh, tax write off. And Lewis's life hacks. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> here, are the, here, are Lewis's life hacks. Um, you can get six hundred tabs of acetylic acid for the same price as three hundred if you buy the if you buy the generic <laughs> brand instead of the name brand. If you invite clients to your party instead of friends, you can write it off as a tax write off. <laughs> yeah, you should always yeah. serve brie at room temperature and. Yeah. If you start dancing at a party, other people will join in. <laughs> yeah, all these little tidbits. Apparently, that scene where he or that that part of the scene where he's walking down like the buffet and he's saying all this is totally improvised. That's apparently That's awesome. one of the improvised scenes where they just told him to go for it, and then he just kind of made that up as he was walking along. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> really funny. Um, but yeah, straight to another scene where people are eating, of course. And of course, yep. the link here is the ghost, the, one of the dogs, one of Gozer's dogs is in the bedroom and he throws the coat on it. And then it chases him through the park. So the dog, um, the beast starts to chase Lewis through the park um, mm. and to the front of the restaurant, which is another scene where lots of people are eating. And that's where that's he right. gets taken by the dog up onto the roof. Yep, that's right. He gets possessed at this point or the dog takes over his body. Yes, uh, that's right. This is the key, the, the key master. Oh, yes, um, of course. Vince, yeah. Vince, Vince Clothor. Clothor. Yeah. Clothor. So then we cut Clortho. back to Dana. Clortho. Yeah. Oh, just that scene. One of the most hilarious parts in the whole movie is right there, I think. Whenever in the restaurant? Um, no, when the dog's chasing Lewis out of his apartment. Lewis is standing at the elevator doing the thing. And an old woman comes out of her apartment <laughs> behind him. And then the dog bursts through the door and she's like, oh! <laughs> she just runs back in her yeah. the noise the noise that she makes it's fucking oh, hilarious it's funny. I, know. I just love that I know it really is funny what would you think so if you stuck your funny. head out into your hallway and there was a fucking de- not demonic dog I know, charging I... down some guy <laughs> hitting the button on the lift there's no way yeah. that elevator door would have closed on time no doubt anyway, uh, there were so, lots of there were lots of flowers and balloons and colors at the restaurant as well, and particularly these, yeah. these balloons that had each individual balloon was multicolored as opposed to the balloons being different colored. And Lewis says to the dog, "Maybe I got a milk ball for the dog to eat." You know, it's like, oh yes, okay, maybe I got a milk ball <laughs> for this beast from the underworld. Oh my god, um, yeah, mm. balloons are interesting. There was a that's the third time we've seen balloons. So there was a big bunch of balloons tied to the back of a chair. Earlier on, you said you made reference to a green balloon in one of the scenes. And then there was a green balloon, yeah, and a big bunch of balloons in the colonnade outside the theater. Yeah, so outside the theater, there was a big bunch of balloons. And I think across the square, whenever they were kicked, either whenever they were kicked out of the university or whenever they were coming back from the library. Okay. Across the across the park, there was a kid standing with a big bunch ah, of balloons. Okay, so it has come up a few times. All right, um, it's interesting. So mm. from there, we cut to Dana's. Back to Dana's. So there's a lot of debris. The police are interviewing people at Lewis's apartment. Um, Dana's been possessed and mm-hmm. is asking for the keymaster. 
Um, this is whenever Vankman arrives. So Vankman arrives at Dana's, knocks on the door, um, <laughs> and she asks if he is the key master, and he says no, um, but he's a friend of his, and uh, she slams the door in his face. Um, or maybe the friend of his was whenever she let him in. So That's the first right. time he said no, and she slammed the door in his face, and then the second he time yes. he said, yes, I'm a friend of his, Um and uh, she says that she's real the gatekeeper and she lets him in yeah um and pete pete draws attention to her his attention's drawn to her her appearance he says that's a different look for you isn't it she's wearing <laughs> this i absolutely love her costume but she's wearing this beautiful orange dress um and uh this orange gown type thing yeah and uh pete's wearing this really colorful shirt too he wears colorful shirts throughout the movie actually but here yeah. i noticed how nicely it fits in with the scene and uh, it reminded me of flaming june by it was just one of my favorite paintings by uh frederick layton i don't know if you're familiar with that painting it's like a woman reclining in a beautiful orange dress oh, I um, don't know. <clears throat> yeah which apparently was found it was worthless for a long period of time. It was found in a chimney or something like that. So the story really? goes. Um, and the, the original people who handled it, you know, thought it wasn't worth very much money. And then within a period of about 10 or 20 years, it became an extremely famous uh, painting throughout wow. the world. And uh, so, yeah, it kind of shot to fame in a similar way that the Ghostbusters did. But, she, but Dana looks incredible here in this uh, lovely orange gown. And then Pete says... Um, referring to the mess in the apartment, he says, you could pick up the place if you're expecting someone. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. That's a funny line. Um, he noticed that it was all burnt around his door and he said, so what are we doing today? That was another line. What are we doing today? And she replies, right. preparing preparing for Goza the Destroyer. Um, and then whenever she's lying on the bed, there's a moment when she's like, I think it's when she's lying on the bed. Um mm-hmm. She asks, do you want this body? And he, he, his reply was like, is that a trick question? <laughs> that was a funny, another funny line. And then um, she makes another, there's another comment where she says, she says, take me now, sub-creature. <laughs> yeah. I just loved it because yeah. she, she, that's like her saying Pete is a sub-creature, which she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. There's one other line. Let me just look up what it was that she said. Um, where she said, I want you inside me. And Peter said, um, no, I can't. Sounds like you've already got at least two people in there already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is funny. Um, yeah. And yeah, so this whole this whole scene is about, I guess, about... Um, For want of a better word, mating again. That's yeah, right. yeah, that's right. Peter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he tries to talk her down. He wants to talk to Dana, but he can't get through. There's only Zul. Mm-hmm. Um he calls her Zuli at one stage. <laughs> he raises off the bed and rotates. Um, and then we cut to Lewis in the park. Right. Yep. Lewis in the park. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis in the park. We cover, he's talking we cover to that? the horse. No. Oh, yeah. He's talking to the horse. There's a quick cutaway to Lewis talking to the horse and lost in New that's York. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can't remember what he says to the horse, but he's talking to the horse. And then the guy said, hey, 
I'm the one that cuts the deals or something like that. And then he turns mm -hmm. back to the horse and he tells him that soon he'll be free. Everybody <laughs> yeah. will be free or something. And then we cut to the cop at Ghostbusters. So we cut to the to Ghostbusters. Yep, he's dropping Vince Clortho, a.k.a. Lewis, off <laughs> yeah. at the Ghostbusters. Yeah, I love Janine answering the door. Are you dropping off or picking up? Yeah. Um, I thought that was like, what would they be picking up from Ghostbusters? You know what I mean? Like, what are they there yeah. to pick up? Um, but yeah, dropping off or picking up, they're dropping off. It's um, it's Vince, uh, the traveler, and then Janine. Yep. Oh yeah, there's this uh, there's this scene then between Jean and Egon. Yes. Where um, so they take Lewis in and they sit him down and they hook him up to all the equipment, um, <laughs> and Egon's asking all kinds of questions, and Janine is clearly very interested in Egon again. Yeah, and Janine says, "Do you do you want a cup of? Should I make him? Do you want a cup of coffee or something?" And <laughs> Lewis says, "Do I want a cup of coffee?" And Egon says, "Yes, have some." And he says, "Yes, have some." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Fucking hilarious, funny. man. Um, yeah, yeah. And then um, he says, "Vince says he's waiting for Gozer, the traveler." That was what it was. Um, and then Egon kind of walks away and Janine goes over to him and she said, there's something very strange about this guy. And uh, she's afraid. She says that she's afraid Egon will die. Mm -hmm. And she's like very touchy feely. Right. And then Vankman calls with news. So he calls and tells them that he has the gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. And Egon says, well, they have the key master. Um, and they said <laughs> that... Uh, I think somebody said that they have to, like, Bangman says that they have to get these two together. And um, and Egon said, no, that that would be very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and then and then he just left. Like, Bangman just left with Dana in the bed, which I thought was really strange. Mm -hmm. So Bangman leaves Dana, and we cut to Ray and Winston. Ray and Winston are, and then the music changes, and this is one of the other soundtrack songs is playing, mm -hmm. and... Um, I, magic I think it's called and it creates a really nice atmospheric vibe as they're driving home in the darkness coming back from a job Yeah. Um, I guess the Ghostbusters are dividing their efforts at this point because they're so busy but they're coming back from a job and um, I don't know have you ever had that weird feeling where you're driving back from somewhere and you're sort of in a daze you know yeah. there's you know I feel it's kind of like it's that and then yesterday I was listening to weird studies and they were talking about this thing called um, uh, I forgot it's contemplative pedagogy Right. Which is a style of teaching where you, the students are encouraged to, to take on certain practices like meditation, contemplation and stuff as part of the actual course, right? Okay. Or whatever it is you're teaching. Um, one of the things associated with that is, uh, it's like a, it's a, it, it's, it's a related thing or an associated thing is Bible study where you, you read a part of the Bible and then you meditate on um, what you read. Yeah, what you've read, you just contemplate it. You spend time in contemplation with the actual text, right? Yeah. And I got a very vibe, a contemplative pedagogy vibe here where Ray right. and Winston are sort of driving back in the dark from a job and they're sort of zoned out and they start talking and Winston starts this Bible talk about you know, right. the Bible where it says it's like the, the, the fire and brimstone raining down and the fucking the moon the turning the world. Yeah, the moon turning blood red or sackcloth black as sackcloth or something like that the yeah. end of the world and i thought the clouds and the moon and this it, it sort of 
sounds like obscured vision, right? It's like the same kind of obscured vision. Um, it's like a it's like a ghost, right? When you see a ghost, the ghost is translucent. And what and what's sort of happening is you're seeing, see what's weird about ghosts is that a ghost is a spirit without a body. But when you look at the ghost, you're seeing the body, but you only see half the body because you're seeing a translucent body. So yes, it's see-through. Okay. And the see-through part of the body is the spirit that you're not seeing, if you sort of see what I mean. It's like the, that's what, there, there's a, the physical and the spirit and the spiritual side of it and the fact that when you see a ghost is transparent your vision is obscured you're only seeing part of the thing right yeah it's like looking through the steam in et or and all the rest of it it's like this this uh this idea of obscured vision uh for sure yeah and what not not knowing what's going to happen next or a prophecy of the future yeah i just this is quite an eerie spooky scene here just this one conversation brings out a feeling really well yeah that's true that's foreboding true. it's also where we see the 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 ghostbusters get back together or start to get back together again so at the start of this whole sequence we had them making their plans for what they were going to do around dana's like one was going to go off and do the research one was going to check out the building so here yep. we've got Ray, like at the very start of the scene, Ray's talking about the architecture of the building. So we've just had Egon come to the end of his kind of little spin-off where he meets the key master and he's got the key master. And then we've got um, Fengman who has gone off to explore her apartment and now he has the gatekeeper. And then right. we've got Ray talking about the architecture of the building and they're all kind of coming together again after finding out their little bits of the puzzle and now they're going to face the big yeah. enemy. You right. know? Okay. So it is, this is kind of where um, we start to build towards the finale. Right. Yep. Good. Right. So from there, we cut to the to um, back to Ghostbusters. Where we see Peck. Yes, Peck arrives with the police. That annoying Pecker. Yes. Um, Janine's busy making coffee and he storms in. He's got a cease and desist and a load of other um, warrants. And uh, and Janine tries to put up a bit of a fight, but she doesn't really, she doesn't get very far. I think Binkman arrives back at the stage and he tells the officer to be at ease, like at ease officer. Um, there's the, the, there's Peck, the policeman and a construction guy of some kind. Yeah. A guy in a high-fizz jacket, which Lewis sniffs at one stage, which was quite a funny funny, um, little moment. And Mm -hmm. they demand that they shut down the machines. Yep. And Um, uh, he goes down, there's this whole engagement around, they're standing down in that little little space and they're arguing and um, eventually the machines get shut down. Mm-hmm. and they all run. So there's this big, there's a lot, you can see the ghosts and everything starting to escape. Um, as we run out, um, as they run out, Egon gets a really funny line where just as they're running up through the top part, he says they're going to need a new building. Um, <laughs> somebody said it's a sign. They think it's a sign. This is a sign. And Egon, I think it's Egon said it's a sign. All right. It's a sign that we're going out of business. Yeah. Um... Yeah, there's a couple of nice things here. Um, so, as I was saying earlier, there's a there's a constant analogy between ghosts and food, and here it's like the 
uh, if the buildup of energy was compared to a Twinkie earlier, and here we're seeing the stomach, essentially the stomach yeah. holding these ghosts basically pukes the ghosts out all over New York City. And there's That's this beautiful right. pink light. Um, this pink energy beam shoots into the sky. That's it. And, when, and then there's a distant shot where there's a huge mural of Mr. Stay Puffed on the side of a building, which is adjacent to the Ghostbusters building. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. And um, uh, so the ghosts come out, they're making a mess in New York City. There's a newspaper stand again with the paper. There's a taxi cab crashes into some garbage cans and Slimer's yep. devouring hot dogs at a hot dog stand. That's it. And the pink light flies to Dana and uh, the building side of her, her apartment building blows out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something interesting. I don't know. It's just a side thing. And I'm just going to throw it out there quickly that uh, the pink energy beam. So let me read you a little snippet here by way of explanation. In February 1974, Philip K. Dick. Do you know Philip K. Dick? He's an author. He wrote um, stories that led to movies like Blade Runner and... Um, Oh, right. Okay. A uh, bunch of other stories have, of his have been popularized. Okay. Uh, like The Man in the High Castle on Amazon Prime is one of his. Ah, okay. Anyway, in 1974, his life changed. While he was recovering from dental surgery, he had a spiritual epiphany. It started with a delivery. It started with a delivery from the local pharmacy, referencing Lewis's pharmacy, yeah. pharmacy delivery. Three yeah, days after his on. surgery... He had these medications arrived um, in the hands of a stunning delivery woman. She wore a goldfish pendant and said uh, that she said was a simple blah, blah, blah. Um, after taking the package, Dick saw a mysterious flash of pink light and collapsed oh. onto his bed. He was a mystical contemplative. Okay. Um, and he supposed the pink light was a spiritual force um, activated by the fish pendant as such a uh, as he lay in bed, visions of abstract paintings appeared, followed by philosophical ideas and engineering blueprints. Yeah, yeah. So that's just an opening paragraph. Now, I've read that off an article called Philip K. Dick's Spiritual Epiphany from OUP blog. Okay. Uh, dot com. Um, so that's just a quick summary. But anyone who knows the Philip K. Dick lore will, lore will know a lot more about that. And I just find it interesting that. There's a couple of little touch points where we see these uh, this Philip K. Dickian, these little Dickian yeah, events for sure. uh, happening in Ghostbusters. So just wanted to mention it. I don't know if there's anything in it, probably or perhaps not. But um, well, it's interesting yeah. because the whenever they're discussing their plan about what they're going to do for Dana, like one of them's going to go off and check out like the architecture of the building, which is like the engineering type stuff, and that's right. Um, Egon's going to go off and check out Zool, which is the philosophical type stuff, you know. So it is yes. kind of it is there and the true, story, true. You know, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so from there, um, one of the justice are all running out of the building. They all get arrested. So the cops um, come, they arrest the Ghostbusters. Um, and they get taken to jail. Interestingly, this was filmed in a real actual jail. Oh, cool. That was still, that was at, like, it was in use at the time. So I read in one article, don't ask me the source, we should become much better at quoting our sources, um, mm -hmm. that they had to do it in one shot. Like they had to do it in one in one take. There was, oh, that's cool. They, 
they needed to there was part of it they wanted to redo but they didn't in the end because um they were too scared to go back into the actual shield of the <laughs> apparently is why red so they just kind That's of made funny. it work made it work um so yeah they head into the jail they're surrounded by other people who have been arrested um, they're talking about what's happening. Um, that uh, that Dana's building is like Spook Central. It acts as a magnifier for all of the cosmic energy or all of the all of the ghosties. That it's been designed um, to to act like that. Yeah. Um, the, the architect was a bit crazy. Yeah, I like some of the comments in here. World War after World War One, I, I guess this guy who designed the building decided that society was too sick to survive. The Shander, I guess, is the guy they name. That's it. Yeah. Um, uh, Egon said something about NASA using something something to identify dead pulsars in deep space. Right. Okay. And um, and I kind of find that interesting. Uh, I think. PKD also speculated that the pink beam came from space or a faraway planet was shot at him. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, I like the subtle illusion that we could be dealing with an alien. Although other than this one <laughs> comment, it is never hypothesized in any of the rest of the movie that these are aliens. That, that although, the, yeah. Although they do talk about dimensions, I guess, yeah, as well. Different dimensions and different dimensions. But um, but I like the idea that Gozer is an alien. Uh, I do like this idea that he's being zapped toward Earth through some kind of portal from essentially another planet, the yeah. you know, Gozer worlds, whatever the hell it is. For sure. Um, um for sure. Um, so yeah, they're talking about this architect and it's all a bit doom and gloom. This is the second time we see Vinkman break into song. Like so um just as they're talking about it, he breaks into so good for so be good for goodness sake, like the kids Santa yes. Claus song. Um earlier on, the first time that he broke into song was outside the university after they'd been kicked out. And he's saying about how there's like this is destiny. It kind of like is like a there's like a Willy Wonka type score where it's all very hopeful and he almost breaks yeah. into the song there too. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Winston gets cold feet. He says he wants to be judged on his own. He needs his own lawyer. <laughs> and then the, the cops arrive with a message that they need to go and see the mayor. The mayor is called for them. Right. And uh, off they go to see the mayor. That's it. Um, um, we cut to Lewis. Do we cut to Lewis there? Okay, I don't have that note. Yeah, so it's a very, it might be quite a quick, it's a very quick um, interlude, like a very quick vignette with Lewis arriving at the apartment. Ah, I have it, yeah. Keymaster meets, Keymaster meets the gatekeeper. That's right. So he opens the door and she's lying amongst the rug bowl and um, they realize who each other are. And then yeah. they're taken up the stairs to the roof. These stairs appear in Dana's apartment, which lead up to the rooftop. Um, right. And off they go. And then we cut to the Ghostbusters in the mayor's office. Yeah, I never figured out before, but I think the stairs appear where the fridge used to be, basically. Oh, yes, you're yeah. right. That is where they are. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. So the portal fridge. Mm-hmm. When was it you were asking the question, was there a fridge? Oh, yeah, we were talking. We speculated if there was a fridge in space and space balls. Did we? There was a fridge spaceship. Remember you mentioned that? Where was? Where did we have the conversation where we thought there was a fridge spaceship? Was it an ET podcast? I don't remember that, but yeah, I, yeah, it must have been, it must have been E.T. Yeah, I thought I we had a remember. Spe- 
But then we checked Spaceballs and found out it was a bus, and we're not sure where the idea of a fridge in space comes from, but I don't know why was that, that flashed across do... my head. Oh, it was because in E.T., there's the scene where E.T. is put inside a fridge, and ah, it has yes. a porthole in it. The fridge that E.T. is it's put into has a porthole, port um, right. which made me think of the... Um, we were talking then about which movie was it that they flew off into space in a fridge and I think it was there was one <laughs> there was a kids movie I remember a kids movie don't ask me where it was or what it was where the kid builds a spaceship and I, I'm pretty sure they took off into space it was like another Spielberg type movie if you're talking about explorers that wasn't a fridge it was a fairground um oh well ferris wheel one. car but was there or a fridge a... involved uh, there was a point where the energy ball, the the energy sphere they created, actually went through the fridge, but no. Oh, God, I wonder what movie it was. Maybe I'm mixing that movie up with a different movie. Was there a movie where there was a scene where they built a lot of um, a lot of warning into climbing into a fridge in a scrapyard or something? And maybe I've just misremembered and joined those two things together. Was there a kid's movie where they were like in a scrapyard and there were fridges and I can't remember anyway. I have no idea. But I do know that it wasn't it in Indiana Jones or something or some movie where he climbs into a fridge in order to survive a nuclear blast. What movie was that? (laughs) And after the blast, he gets out of the fridge. I don't think it was Indiana Jones. We should do a whole episode. I don't think there were any Indiana Jones nuclear blasts. (laughs) Okay, obviously, yeah. (laughs) Um... We should do a whole episode on fridges. Okay, awesome. I'll write that fridge to fridge episode. <laughs> <laughs> what would we call it? <laughs> um, back to Ghostbusters. So yeah, so right there oh. is the approach. Oh yeah, there yeah they meet they they meet up and then they go up the stairs um, where they're gonna um, do their little ritual, their mating the, the mating sex ritual to bring ghosts yes. into. That's right. Our, that's right. Our dimension. And we come and, uh, to sorry, City go ahead. Hall. Yeah, City Hall, where I noticed, and I don't know what it means, but there's the big banner outside City Hall, which says furnishing the streets. And I think this is just must be a reference to some kind of exhibit that's going on in City Hall. It says furnishing the streets from 1902 to 1922, an exhibit running from September 22nd to November 30th, 1982. Mm, okay. Um, Interesting. And uh I, I just liked how there was a little throwback to the period of time between 1902 to 1922 when in, uh, when in, where was it? We had, uh, oh yeah, it was the books uh, in, uh, in the Saul Rewind show where he was, um, they made a couple of references to that exact same oh, time period yes. when Chuck and Jimmy were talking about the books. That's and he right. Was, yeah, there was a book right. on the shelf that Jimmy lifted down yeah. from their childhood. And he misremembered yeah. that it was, um, he thought it was his mom that used to read him the book, but it was Chuck. It was Chuck. But uh, yeah, oh, so okay. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. That happened. Um, For sure. Then we get this fantastic scene in the mayor's office. It's um, really good. It's just so many gags in this scene. Oh, it's just yeah. brilliant. One after it's the other. It's just brilliant. Yep. Do you want to tell us about a few of them? <laughs> sure, sure. Sure. So they're in the they're in the mayor's office. Uh, Peck is there, and um, the mayor is in. It's a crisis uh, enveloping the city. Yeah. 
And the mayor Peck wants is... to know what to do. He's got his advisors there. He's got the head of the police force. He's got Peck. He's got uh, yeah. Then at one point, the priest, the comes head of the fire says, department, ah, the oh, head of the, the fire department. Priest. Jesus Christ! Priest comes in. He says, "Ah, your eminence." And uh, there's a couple of great lines here where um, everything was uh, Peck goes off at the Ghostbusters, and Ray says yeah. everything was fine until Dickless here shut off the thing. <laughs> and the mayor says, "Is this true?" And, and Pete says, "Yes, it's true. This man has no dick." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And Winston line. says, "Since I met these guys, I've seen shit that'll turn you white." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was so funny. Oh God! Um, and yeah. then the priest, the priest, whenever he comes in, he said that it's a sign from God, but don't quote him on it. He said don't he doesn't want to go on that, record. Yeah. Don't quote That's me right. on it. Um, yep. Yeah. So it's a disaster of biblical proportions. Um, Finkman yeah. says uh, he goes off on one saying human sacrifice, dogs living with cats um, <laughs> together, mass hysteria. You know. <laughs> it's funny. I know. That dogs and cats living together is one of the funniest lines in the show for me. Oh, definitely. definitely. Just slipped in. It slipped in yep. seamlessly. <laughs> um, and then he, he goes on to say, you'll save them. Uh, what will happen if, if we're wrong, then we'll, off, we'll go off to jail quietly. But if we're right, you'll have saved the lives of um, millions of registered voters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I This is Benkman again being his kind of showman, the charismatic leader speaking for the ghostbusters he yeah he has that element of charm to him that enables him to carry off this kind of line uh, as he does so many times throughout the movie so a very necessary element of charm in Beckman's character here we see its practical sure. usage as he pitches yeah, to the mayor for sure the mayor then tells um the mayor tells the the police guy to escort um pick out um, Finkman says he's going to get him a nice fruit basket. He'll arrange a nice fruit basket for him. And then we cut um, to outside the mayor's office where the Ghostbusters now have a lot of fans in the street. And yeah. um, they've got a police escort. The army are there. There are big crowds <laughs> gathered. Um, so this is them really being positioned as celebrities, as heroes, um, off to fight, mm-hmm. um, off to fight the bad guy. Yep. Um, out in the That's street, right. they're shaking hands with people in the crowd. Um, they're really, they're really bathing in the, the glory of of what they're um, of their celebrity, I guess. That's right. Um, then they arrive outside the building, so they get they mm-hmm. go off to Dana's apartment building. Um, I can't remember the address. Apologies. <laughs> and, uh, I don't remember the address either. And uh, there's this great scene where the road breaks up. So the road outside the building as they arrive breaks up and they kind of fall into the ditch a little bit. I like how, yeah, they're sort of swallowed by the road. It eats them up, sort of. That's um, right. There's thunder and lightning in the sky. and uh, The tension's uh, really building. Yeah, the tension's really building. The music takes a turn. There's this creepy high-pitched violin. Oh, no, that falls after they get out of the road, I think. Um, yeah, it's a really nice moment whenever they get swallowed in the road. Then there's that moment of tension. It's like, shit, what, what happened? What's going to happen? And then <laughs> yeah, they climb up and everybody silent. cheers. It's like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and then from there, we cut to inside. And they're taking the stairs up to the 22nd floor. Yeah, funny line here. Uh, I like this line. See, he's, he's Fegman says, where are we? And the one says, and we're in the teens somewhere. And he says, um, at 20, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> yeah yeah and i wondered you know i i just if ghostbusters 
if the new Ghostbusters had come out next year, because Dana's floor is on uh, the 22nd floor. Yeah. So in the teens of this last decade is when Ghostbusters came out, the, the new yeah. movie, 2016. In 2020, we had COVID. So it's like, tell me when we get to 20, I'm going to throw up. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and if, if the movie had come out just a couple months later, it would have put it us in 2022. Right, yeah, so 22, 22nd floor. So it would have been a really nice, neat little package, but the movie's Aww. coming out this month, so not to that be... idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you really get a sense of how well appointed Dana's apartment building is. Like it's very art deco, I think. Um, mm. even even Egon says that whenever he walks into her apartment, he says, Oh, this is very nice. Um and then they take the stairs up to the roof where Lewis, Lewis, sorry, not Lewis, Lewis and Dana turn into dogs. Do we see the transformation? I think yes, we actually see we them sort transform. Of yeah, yeah, basically we do, yeah. And uh, a glass house has appeared on top of the building and it's very bright and very light. And Goza is a woman. Yes, Goza turns out to be a chick. A yeah. Babe, a woman. Yeah. And uh, a very hot pretty woman actually yeah i think I, um she's a european model of some description i can't remember i think maybe from slovakia or from uh, okay definitely a european country um originally supposed to be played by somebody else who turned it down and right. or who couldn't do it for some reason i mean yeah, it makes sense lady. they sort of say all oh, goes as whatever it wants to be but it sort of makes sense from the point of view that the movie has this heavy uh theme of the male focus on the female yeah and so it sort of stands to reason that there'd be a, a woman here, goes through it, appears a woman, and they'd all be pointing their penis guns at her, uh, ready to <laughs> yeah. splurge their, uh, their yeah, proton their packs protons. all over her. Yeah, <laughs> their protons. That's right. Um, I love whenever they, they get there, they get up, and they're all just kind of looking at her, and Finkman just goes, go get her, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's a really nice, yeah, that's a really nice back moment. The, echoing back to the first... The, the first yeah. ghost yeah yeah, yeah for sure get her, right? <laughs> um he orders her to cease and to return to her dimension um he said there they represent the city and she has to to return um and finkman says that ought to do it <laughs> quite <sarcastically. laughs> and she asks she asks ray if he's a god yeah he says he isn't and she this... um tells him all to die yeah, this is Ray uh, screwing up again, which he does in a minute or two as well. This is another one of yeah. Ray's uh, klutz moments. For sure. It's like when someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funny. Um, and then they decide they're going to have another go and they think they've won. So did they use their proton packs? Is that what happened? They yeah, tried to they shoot, shoot her with their proton they packs? They shoot at her, but they seem to go through her and then she just vanishes suddenly and they think yeah. they've been victorious. For sure, they thought that was it. Um, that was it. And then, of course, they hear they hear the voice. We don't see her again, but we hear her voice. We hear her and voice, the said, booming voice. Goza has come. Choose the form of your destructor. Right. And poor old Ray just cannot get the image of this. <laughs> they puffed out of his mind. That's right. He thinks He's of Mr. Stay Puffed. He says, what, what could <laughs> he think? The marshmallow man. Yeah, what could he think of that couldn't possibly hurt them? <laughs> yeah, stay puffed. Um, yeah. Apparently, they made three, there were three 
Stay Puft costumes. Like the, I think that it was actually a full full on someone um, in a suit. Well, I think yeah, but it was ginormous. Like I think they made like a full size, three full size Stay Pufts. Um, from right. my understanding, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, but they cost they cost an absolute fortune, and all three were destroyed during filming, so none of them exist anymore. What a shame! Yeah. Um. So yeah. Spoiler alert that he gets destroyed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> stay puffed. You see him walking down the street through New York. Um. They hit him with the streams. They set him on fire. And then they come up with a plan to reverse the polarity across the streams and turn the gate into a big giant goose trap, which sucks them back mm. in. That's right. Uh huh. And there's and a big works. explosion. Yeah, it works. There's a big explosion, um, and everybody gets covered in toasted marshmallow. Yep. <laughs> um, which is actually shaving foam. I read. Okay, online. that's a lot it's of actually, shaving foam. It was a ton of shaving foam. Um, I read there was this the, the moment where Pick gets, um, is it Pick or Peck? Peck. Peck. <laughs> where Peck gets a shitload of it dropped on him, that they did it with, uh, like, he wouldn't do it. He refused to do it until they tested it out on somebody else first. So right. they got a stuntman in with the drop all this um, shaving foam on, and it totally fucking wiped him out. Like, he, he totally knocked <laughs> over, and he was wiped out. So they reduced the amount by half, and then uh. he agreed to do it. But, yeah, can you imagine <laughs> how much was originally dropped? Because he gets, like, a shit ton of shaving foam dropped on him. Yeah. Um, but imagine double that. So, yeah. And then, yeah, we've got the aftermath on the roof. Aftermath mm-hmm. on the roof. Um, Fankman's the only one that doesn't have any foam on him. Did you notice that? The rest of them are all covered in marshmallow and he's like spotlessly clean. I, I, I noticed that. I didn't know what to make of it, but yeah. Very odd. I wonder if um, if that was deliberate or if it was just because, I don't know, maybe he got too covered in marshmallow and they had to change his uniform or something. I don't know. It just seemed really strange. Hmm. Maybe it's like a, a kind of a nod to his character as like a hustler that he managed to get out of the way for it all. Yeah, yeah he kind true. of went off into the background and let the rest yeah. of them deal with it, you know. Um, yeah. So, uh, do you have anything else to say about that? No, no, just uh, you have whenever, yeah, they noticed that uh, Dana. They, they notice the, 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 oh yeah, Ray points out he can smell dog hair or something oh, like shit. that. Yeah, that's right. And uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, and then and, uh... they think that they're dead, but they're inside the statues. Yes. You and they help them, them to break, break free. Yeah. That's right. So they break them out of the statue. Um, Lewis comments that the super is going to be really pissed off. They make their way back downstairs. There's this moment, I think it was whenever, um, I think it actually happened on the roof. Maybe it was on the roof. Maybe it was just as they were coming out of the lift or somewhere. But Lewis asks, who does their taxes? Did you pick up on that? Yeah. So here's the, <laughs> who, does does your you, taxes? who does your taxes? Um, and then we have oh, yeah, a no. with them. Go ahead. Um, Venkman also says some comment. There's the woman that paid us before she turned into a dog. Uh, referring to uh, Dana when Dana, they're up there. Yes. And they, yeah, I mean, again, it's this note of paid us, you know, it's the money note, which is Aye. constantly in the taxes as well. I, I missed quite sure. a few of the other references to money as we were going through there, but yeah, other that's one final one. Yeah. Um, so then Winston they get says, downstairs. I love this town. Where's this? 
Winston says, I love this town up on the roof. Oh, and does the, it? The, and the fun music comes in, the celebration music for the last uh, Yeah, so whenever they, they go out and they're heroes and the crowd is cheering and everyone's really exciting, excited. Yeah, people have T-shirts. Um, I saw that, uh, the boys with the Ghostbusters merchandise. Yeah, and they're merchandising <laughs> within the movie. And then um, there's, a, there's a kiss between uh, Diana and... Uh, Pete, so Pete That's gets right. the girl, and uh, finally the, the clergy are off on the side. Uh, the clergy oh are even God. blessing the Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What was odd about the crowd scene is that they had everybody all grouped together. So it was like a group of priests. It was like a group of like motorcycle gang members. They were like they were all in their like tight little groups. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it kind of flipped from one to the other. And Lewis was desperate to be interviewed. Nobody wanted to interview him. The police wraps him up in a blanket and he doesn't want to go in the police car or the ambulance. He wants to go with the Ghostbusters and um, always just on the outside. Terrible. And then they drive Mm -hmm. off. They drive away. And that's it. And that's it. The movie ends, apparently. Roll credits. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, um, the the last closing sequence with the... Ecto-1 driving across Manhattan Bridge. Um, right. Apparently it broke down and they were never able to start it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But it happened just right at the end of the movie. Well, I guess they, yeah. apparently they filmed the whole of the all the scenes where you see Ecto-1 driving around New York were all filmed on the same day. Like okay. they just arrived in New York to film all those different sequences without, apparently they didn't have like film permits or anything. They just wow. arrived and started it and closed a bunch of roads and pissed the city off, but then that was it done. Right. No, neat. Yeah. Without yeah, permits, so eh? What a movie, my God. Not yep. our slickest, not our slickest um, chat about Pod- it, but sure. It podcast good. performance. Yeah. It was fine. I mean, this is the thing about Ghostbusters is, I mean, what else are you going to do apart from review all the jokes? It's just, it's a comedy. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of deep symbolism going on. I mean, I maybe I'm I'm sure I've missed out on a few things, but uh, we picked up on some recurring motifs, and uh, you know there was the the whole um, element of the male fascination with women being totally, um, you know, strongly yeah. used in this in this story. Um, there were some balloons. There was a lot of paper. Um, there was slime. There was pink light. There was uh, the uh, yeah uh, the col- the coloring I guess was one of my favorite parts the, the way they shifted tone using colors and everything when they switched over to scenes with Dana yeah and um, and uh, yeah I mean it was just very well done it was very well directed there were lots of um, the, the way they used lighting in a lot of the scenes and um, to come out of one sequence and go into another sequence that a completely different feeling happened lots of times. In yeah, the movie sure. and uh, all parts of the movie, uh, the movie uh, t- tools, tools of the trade were employed very effectively throughout the whole thing. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, so are you gonna? No, okay. Um, are you, did you have a <laughs> favorite scene <laughs> or a favorite line from the movie? Um, favorite line or favorite scene? Um, let me. I do have, I've got a couple of favorites, but I think the absolute favorite would be just like the scene with the mayor in the mayor's office, I think is a great scene. It's just so totally. quick and 
seamlessly yep. delivered. You know, it was great timing mm -hmm. from um, Bill Murray and from all of the characters. I thought that was a really good scene. Mm -hmm. um, I really like Janine. I think Janine's a great character. Like she had some really good one-liners herself. Yeah, I love um, Janine. Yeah. I guess those two, those two things. Like Fingman was like just, a, it was like a gag reel, like constant jokes. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it was really mm -hmm. good. Um, but yeah, I don't think I could, if I had to pick out one, it would probably be the scene in the mayor's office. But that's yeah. just because of the comedy. I think my favorite sequence is from when they enter the hotel, the Hotel Sedgwick, yeah, until the great. close when they do the little uh, secret signs of the money. That whole sequence, um, everything from going up on the elevator and the cockroach and the shooting yeah, the, the, maid, so the maid cart and then uh, um, <laughs> Pete getting slimed, um, don't cross the streams was one of the yeah. lines from that sequence. He slimed me was one of the lines. Yeah. Um, the maid is a great actress. Like she was brilliant. She's I so thought the maid hilarious. was brilliant. So authentic. That, she just seemed so real. Like she was so annoyed. You know what I mean? That they'd shot at her cart. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that, that was one of the best. Like, one of the best things about the movie is all these side side actors and side yeah, jokes, side gags sure. going on. Like that part where the woman comes out when Lewis is being chased by the dog, and she comes out of her apartment <laughs> and runs back in. She only has to make one noise, but it's fucking hilarious. Oh. God, does she have curlers in her hair? Like, have I misremembered that? Like, does she have? I think she's in a dressing gown. Yeah, Isn't yeah. Isn't she like in a nightdress or something? Yeah, she comes out to investigate the noise or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking so funny. And um, yeah, that whole sequence was fantastic. And uh, where uh, Fankman pulls the sheet out and says, "The flowers are still standing." <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it's great. really good. That yeah. sequence is very good. He's always wanted to do that. Um, the scene in the jail was really good too. Let me see yep. if I can. There was this the one really good line whenever everybody starts to crowd round and Bankman, I can't remember what he said, but everybody's crowding in like all the other crooks um, that have mm -hmm. been locked up for the night to start to crowd round him. And he makes a comment, but I didn't write it down. So yeah, we can just edit this bit out. <laughs> he said, I think he's, no, I think he says, are you guys getting this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah really good yeah fantastic what about the overall popularity of the movie i mean what explains i think as far as i know at one point the ghostbusters logo it's one of the most recognizable logos in, in the, the world. world it is for sure and uh, well i think that it was the highest grossing comedy in in the history of cinema until it was knocked off the top spot mm. by home alone in the 90s so mm. it was like it it grossed a really high box office premium, and then you know to to be at the top, the, the highest grossing comedy until like the mid nineties when Home Alone came out. Like how long's that? Ten years. Home Alone. It's nearly ten years. Yeah. You know. Home so. Was, it, yeah. But what is it about the movie that captures people's attention? I know. I know. Is it's it weird. Just that it's... it's great comedy. I mean, for sure, there's got to be something to the fact that. Almost every line is funny. I mean, it, yeah. the, the humor from start to end, where it's spooky, where it's supposed to be spooky. Um, there's a very dramatic uh, closing sequence, you know, uh, yeah. full of surprises. The, the Marshmallow Man itself, just a fantastic image. Yeah. Um, a giant I'm, Marshmallow Man that gets toasted and really yeah. toasted marshmallows everybody. Yeah. In real life, yeah. toasted marshmallow would be fucking hot, man. You don't want to get that on you. You'd be sure. scalded. Yeah. Melted. You put that shit in your mouth, it burns your tongue off. Uh... 
um, but then there's the whole the whole everyday kind of American hero part of the story where these are the Ghostbusters are four guys who get the sack from their university. I don't know what Winston's backstory was, but certainly the three were sacked from university. Disgraced scientists who go out in the world and and set up this brilliant business, you know, and our heroes, they become right. American heroes, you know. So that's right. Um, it's a really, it's a really um that kind of American, American Heroic. superhero movie trope, yeah. you know what I mean. But they're just yeah, everyday. Well, they're not everyday science. They're not everyday Americans. They're scientists, you know. They're scholars, but they're disgraced yeah. scholars who who yeah. go out and fucking set up their own business and live the American dream. Essentially, you know what I mean? Yeah. Prove everybody wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, maybe that's part know, of it too. Maybe that's part of the the draw. Yeah, totally. Um, there is this, uh, of course, I mean, it goes without saying that New York City has been destroyed and transformed so many times in the movies that um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and then, you know, there's a connection to the idea of 9-11 in terms of how the New York uh, skyline was transformed by yeah. the World Trade Center coming down and, you know, question over it's the, then the destruction of a city or the transformation of a skyline becomes, well, it was a movie trope even before Ghostbusters. So I doubt Ghostbusters was the first scene, first well, no, movie where got, New York was destroyed, but then Godzilla it was King, and... Godzilla, King Kong, where King Kong scales the building. There's yeah. something about this transformation of the skyline, which is a powerful, um, powerful transformational symbol of transformation, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the movie definitely plays on that. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Just a great movie. Really good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very good. Good all the around. The kind of events um, that, that came together to pull those cast members together, you know, whenever um, John Berselli died, so Vinkman became um, a character played by Bill Murray, John Candy, who turned the, the role down, Eddie right. Murphy, who turned the role down. You know, imagine if it was Eddie Murphy and John Candy and and is it John John Buscelli? Did I say that right? Bruce. Um, Bruce was it? Bruce? Belushi. 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 That was him. Sorry. Uh, John Belushi. Um, it would have been such a different movie, you know. Yeah, for sure. Are we gonna? Totally different movie. A totally different movie. Indeed. What are we doing next? Should we do Uncle Buck? It's like a Christmassy movie. We could do Uncle Buck, yeah, since we've been talking about um, John Candy. John Candy. Oh, that's so and how he was the left out of Ghostbusters. And Uncle Buck is another comedy, so yeah, I think that flows pretty well. All right. Tune in next time for Uncle Buck. All right, awesome. Don't forget to check out our other sign, other our other sign, our other show. <laughs> um Saul Rewind. Yeah. Etc. 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 At the end of the show. Bye.